Ladies, gentlemen, listeners, it's too bad you missed the previous two hours of conversation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we always, we always, we always do that. Um, today, it's a little. It's I feel a little subdued myself yeah. today. I'm a little subdued. You yeah. need more coffee, Kelly. I probably need more coffee. I need it, like an IV of coffee yeah. going into my brain. <laughs> um, welcome to another episode of uh, being recorded in the Dissect Podcast Studio in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. Michael is here. I am here. We are joined by the lovely and inspiring Kelly Halpin. And <laughs> I, uh, Payson McKelvin introduced us. He did. And said, you have to meet this girl. She's, she's out there. <laughs> 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 and then... Uh, I have no way to, to describe uh, describe you, Kelly, other than th- that your job is as an illustrator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, <laughs> and, that's accurate. And then um, and then there's everything else because we can <laughs> we cannot be. De- I mean, certainly Michael and I can't be defined by our jobs because we don't <laughs> know what it is. But but it's <laughs> but that usual thing of of you know oh what do you do right. oh I'm X I'm Y I'm you know whatever. Um, but the, the the really interesting thing to me was when Payson said, oh, she's trying to do the, you know, the world ultimate ridge link up. Um, she's done it before, uh, but she's, you know, trying to do it faster. Mm-hmm. And it took me back to a memory of trying to do that thing many, many years ago, um, which is basically linking all of the summits around the horseshoe shaped ridge that, you know, of all the summits above Little Cottonwood Canyon. And... Uh, at that time, it hadn't when I, when Vince Anderson and I tried it had had not yet been done in the winter, I don't think, um, and we were unable to do it <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> because it's too big. It's big, but you had bad conditions too. You had awkward conditions, gluey conditions. G- gluey, yeah, but um, but we also went into it thinking like we were going to do it. Flypaper conditions, <laughs> kind of like yes, kind of like flypaper when the when it warmed up and the snow went soft like mm. almost immediately, and things got like and the skins don't glide and mm-hmm. yeah anyway, but it wasn't that we were you know, we've uh, not such bad planning. We had two caches, you know, we had, it, and they were at the right points. Yeah, um, but yeah, we lacked the will. To con- to con- to d- we made a bad decision in the night, or a, actually a good decision, but yeah, uh, no, you made a smart decision because you had yeah the calculations weren't going to add up. It was taking a little too long and a little too far to go with what you had planned for. So yeah. I think it's a smart decision. I think it's one of the smartest decisions if you're actually able to pull yourself off of a off of a ridge or off of your goal. I mean, that can save your life. Well, that's or save your toes, or yeah, it's it's true, but. Um, so last when when we met, this was, is the world, right? Yeah. How how many miles? How much elevation gain? I believe it. It's around thirty six miles, mm-hmm. and it's twenty one official named peaks, and then a handful of smaller peaks. So it's somewhere around thirty peaks, I believe. 
and it's 18,000 um, accumulative gain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the horseshoe of Little Cottonwood Canyon. It's very beautiful. It's a very aesthetic ridge line. And when we met, it was the day after you had you had completed it. Yeah. And we thought it might not be the, it might be <laughs> the perfect or the worst moment to have a conversation. So, <laughs> so we didn't drag you in. Uh, so thank we, you for coming. We had a conversation. It just wasn't recorded. Yeah. It's it was, it was nice too. Yeah. It's true that my brain was a little bit melted. Mm. And it was, but it was raw. That's maybe that was the perfect time to have that conversation. Because now you've rewritten (laughs) the memory and do you. you (laughs) Right. And it's perfect in my mind. Everything went great. (laughs) I feel fine now. So. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And it was just so just under 24 hours, 2346. Yeah. 2344. 44. Yeah. Yeah. Which now we realize <laughs> that you need to come back. I know. I definitely need to come back. Definitely. Definitely. I knew when I did it, I, I knew. I, I still think I can take two hours off of my time. Okay. I also had the, the snow field, like, because mm. this past winter was an epic Heavy snow year. year. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the exit coming off of Lone Peak into Bells, um, it was filled with snow, and it's a very steep ice field and I was planning on hitting it in the afternoon not in the morning and it was still frozen and I lost like 40 minutes of time just like fucking around on it yeah like trying to traverse it and I it was too steep to glissade it was too frozen I was like oh god like I'm wasting so much time so anyway yes and that's some hours into it so you know at the end yeah yeah you need to have uh good cognitive presence in order to decide <laughs> not to just start sliding down the snow i definitely i definitely thought about it i was like huh i could just chuck my body off of this right now and just hope <laughs> i can self arrest but like honestly it was so frozen i didn't think i was gonna be able to self arrest and last year coming off of a snowfield, i actually slid into a hole and i didn't i wasn't able to self arrest like the snow was like soft enough my axe actually scraped through it so i yeah i had some reason to not just want to like charge myself yeah and the snowfield <laughs> itself was rounded so had i tried to glissade i would have slid off left or right rather than straight okay. down yeah. so um so yeah. off the fall line i'm yeah I'm, i've been up there mm-hmm. like where we've done we backtracked we went the opposite way of where the world starts and i've been up in bell's canyon quite so i'm trying to imagine <laughs> What you're talking about, if you're really talking about this, after the second reservoir, that glacier that goes up right and then cuts back over into the... So if you're looking at the upper lake, mm-hmm. um, it'd be on the right side and it's a couloir that comes off of, uh, yeah, Lone Peak. I don't know. It yeah. comes off of the ridge. Yeah, it's yeah. Quite Okay, steep that's and, the one I'm talking... Yeah. yeah. And so you were possibly thinking about throwing yourself off of that because yeah, i was <laughs> for time because like, yeah, i was wasting time and i was like oh my god like if i blow if i don't do it in under 24 hours i am going to be so mad at myself for not just risking this and it was like what's the risk versus reward like if i if i try to chuck myself off and i break my ankle <laughs> yeah i'll be i'll be really mad and then my season will be done and but I was like, if I happen to glissade correctly into the snowfield and like kind of, you know, slow down and peter out, then I would have made a really good decision. But once I got on to the snowfield, it was so steep and frozen still. And I had to traverse like back into the little notch between the rock and the snowfield and kind of crawled in there. And that's how eventually I, I got down because I didn't have crampons. I had an axe, but like it was 
It was really steep. An axe and like soft rubber sold shoes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was doing like the axe in one hand, fist punching the snow in the other and like... (laughs) Yeah, it was a mess <laughs> and I was like I didn't want like last year I did the whirl and I was like okay cool I did it once I don't have to do it again but I knew how much time I had like wasted on it so I was like okay I guess I have to come back and then this year when I finished I was like okay cool I don't have to do it again because I did it in under 24 but when you know the spots where you've wasted time and you know that you can do it faster it's like god damn it all right I'll have to come back and do it again how did this start the, like the, 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 you, the, the like you the, you yeah <laughs> oh me how did I, you start i started i think as an egg and a sperm at yeah, one point yeah. like i think there was a conceivably but, but so, so growing up in jackson <laughs> yes i grew up in jackson um you're exposed to i mean you just you have that like the most obvious sort of skyline to want to traverse and oh my god look at so beautiful um uh, above you all all the time and mm-hmm. did, so I presume that growing up there, you grew up skiing or snowboarding and hiking and yeah, um, and then running and then... Yeah, I actually grew up... My original sport was riding horses. Um, and then when I was about six years old, I went to an... I actually went to an REI and I saw they had like the artificial climbing wall in there. Okay. And I got on the climbing wall and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. And my parents were fully supportive of it. And they, um, I spent half the year in Jackson growing up and the other half in Virginia. So in Virginia, we had a climbing gym, like one of the early climbing gyms. Okay. Uh, this is in like 1993, um, like two hours away in Maryland. So my dad actually drove me there twice a week to climb, which was amazing, like incredible. And it was, I was so obsessed with climbing and I, I don't know, I've been doing it ever since, but that mixed with, you know, growing up in Jackson and my parents just, in the summertime, like 7 a.m. until it got dark at like 10 p.m. Like I was allowed to do whatever I wanted outside. Get out, get outside, stay outside. Yeah, I just, I stayed outside. I had like this little survival pack that had like matches, knives, snacks in it. And I was, I was gone all day. Like I was out climbing, like mountain biking, painting, uh, riding, riding my horse, um, riding my horse by myself before there were cell phones and things like going out in like following game trails and just going out all day um, with like a lunch and me and my horse would like split a, a sandwich and a cookie and like I was gone all the time like I just love to be like out in the wilderness amazing it, I I was very lucky because I feel like you know I I think that like m- my generation might be the last generation that has access to like not not just in Jackson Hole which was you know extremely lucky but in the suburbs of Virginia like I still had access to the forest there and the streams yeah. and like they almost don't exist anymore now I, you know? I'd say that there's kind of a I think you're right. You might be the last generation that does it, but I don't know if it's just access because if mm-hmm. you open the door, I don't think many kids go out. No, no, because everyone has created their lives indoors now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have iPads and TVs and like, why do you actually need to go out and have an experience physically when you can have it all like right in front Virtually. of like, in your hands, you know? Um, I actually am illustrating, I've written and illustrated a children's book that I'm going to try to get out at the end of the year about... Um, based off of nature deficit disorder and like a kid mm. growing up basically in um, well a room kind of like this except without windows and Did he you has, just call it a nature deficit disorder it's from the book last child in the woods that's pretty good it's yeah. pretty good isn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's a great book um but yeah it's like how children like you know they don't go outside anymore because like they don't have to yeah why would you go outside yeah and the kids are uh, i had this literal conversation yesterday because we we're talking about um, some of it having to do with ADHD and ADD and the mm-hmm. the prognosis of, but I think it's more of a symptom of like, 
you know, telling kids or, or like before they can walk or talk, we're like trying to get them to talk, trying to get them to walk, trying to get them to run. And then as soon as they can, we tell them to shut up and kind of sit down yep. and not do anything. Mm-hmm. It's like little boys, especially like vibrate with energy because yeah. they need to go outside and like mm-hmm. throw themselves out of trees. Definitely. That's not attention deficit. That's misattention. Like reading is not that important when you're learning about your physical world. Yeah. It's just not like, and I'm a big fan of reading, obviously, but there, there's something missing. And I think hearing your story is really, it's kind of (laughs) sad in the fact that I think you're right. Like, I don't think many kids get that opportunity anymore. Or, Mm. Or even if they're given the opportunity, they don't understand the importance of it. Right. Um, yeah, totally. And uh, I also think that like a big part of creativity and imagination comes mm. from, I don't know, maybe not just going outside, but like parents giving their kids the opportunity to be bored mm-hmm. so that they can come up with their own, you know, their own stories, their own, you know, fables, like creating toys out of spoons and forks. And like, mm. you know, I feel like um, I, I'm, I'm not a parent, so you know, I don't really know if I have a right to say this, but watching, watching some of uh you know, family and friends raise their kids. Like they're always trying to make sure they're doing Pacify, something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. and you're, you're not creating that environment to, to be creative. Yeah. Um, where, where the mind actually has to fill the void. Right. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I guess I was fortunate that way where, uh, you say, yeah, creating toys out of mm. forks and spoons or whatever, mm-hmm. or blocks of wood or, mm-hmm. you know, and it was super cool when eventually I had, an allowance or whatever it was yeah. and I could have like a G.I. Joe. Why is the first thing that like we a, buy is gasoline though? <laughs> it's like I, some kind I, of explosive device. Well, I we was, won't go I, down that road. But. I was going to say, I think we have had that conversation having to do with, you know, young arsonists. <laughs> I was totally a pyro. Oh my okay. gosh. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I'd go out in the woods and I'd like make little fires and like, But it, you that, that's your, like, you can think back to, you know, we're, um, we're honing our survival skills. Yeah, the yeah. Greeks, but all that all that storytelling that comes from you know prehistoric man is how man interacts with fire. It's very primitive. Uh-huh. It's very like, I don't know, it's illuminating yeah. because we're trying to figure this thing out that doesn't make any sense. It, do, it doesn't make any common sense mm-hmm. how something can ignite and burn and do all right. this. So we're creating stories behind it. We're also, you know, getting our hand burnt doing it and mm-hmm. learning like, oh, it's powerful. We can't interact right. with it incorrectly as right. opposed to I downloaded this PDF on my iPad and it told me that fire is dangerous. Right. Exactly. And not to play with it. But, <laughs> yeah. but then I got the, like the little looping video of yeah. the fire on my iPad oh, and it didn't seem that hot. Right. <laughs> like it just flickered and was, uh-huh. didn't hurt me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we were actually, Kelly and I were actually talking about uh, fire in, you know, back in the day, let's say mm-hmm. um, to, in relation to cave paintings mm-hmm. she was like oh yeah not only did they have to paint it but they had to like bring fire into the cave to, to illuminate it. the wall yeah. mm-hmm. to actually do the painting which is something that i just always assumed it was like kind of a shallow cave where light naturally <laughs> came in the front door like i, I oh. it never occurred to me that that those would be paintings like the, or these illustrations were like hammerings or whatever were like deep 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 yeah the uh perch Merrill caves in france like some of the first ones that they found uh, art on that the weird thing isn't that only that they bring in fire that fire has something to do with how they move mm-hmm. they're creating a moving image because of yeah. how it flickers against the wall they can see like these subtleties it, it's it's a really it's like when we think about it and this is this is 
you know, coming from a modern human, we think back and we go, oh, idiots, like they're just cavemen. They're really stupid. No. They have the same brain power as us. Absolutely. They and are they're way genetically more in tune with their like their instincts and everything. Uh, I'd say, we are yeah. we're so like like pacified now, you know, in a lot yeah. of ways. Their their general intelligence is much higher, especially in a in a, in a natural realm. Mm-hmm. Like the ability to distinguish plants that are poisonous and not yep. and helpful. Like um uh, when we're on this horse trip, somebody's explained to me the bushcraft, and they were talking about if you were to um, just write down all the information, if 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 a hundred books that were a thousand pages each had all the information that there was about bushcrafting, they said seventy-eight of them would be about plants. Wow! And it's like, wow. and there's no way you would know all of it. Like it's impossible to know mm-hmm. all of that. So it's it's like a shocking amount that you have to know. Right. I actually, um, I've been listening to Sapiens on an uh, mm. audiobook as I've been driving around yeah, <laughs> the last couple awesome. days. Um, and I heard that uh, people have actually lost some um, like brain capacity since those early days mm. because we're, well, we're a little bit softer now and <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to, we can like focus on just doing like one thing, like one job mm-hmm. rather than doing Specialization. Like lots mm-hmm. of things all at once, you know, like hunting, gathering and, you know, looking for shelters, you know, understanding the stars and well, all the things that come along with survival, you know. Well, there's a really weird, like, I think this is where, go ahead. So I was going to say, um, you mentioned the horse trip and I was, mm-hmm. you had not Kelly, when you were here last time, he had not yet gone. No, I he think just, I just got, got just back. Got just back. got yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, you're telling us wild stories. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, yeah, I you got thrown off game. the horse. Yeah, and it's it's getting better, but slowly. Oh man. You dismounted on the high side, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I, ca- I yes, uh, equine pole vaulting or yeah. whatever you <laughs> whatever you want to describe it as. There's something uh, really interesting with that general intelligence. Um, and I forgot what I was going to fucking point out about it, but there's this idea. Uh, I think Yuval brings it up quite a bit and, and it goes into Deus when he, um, cause there's this idea that humans, um, aren't meant to specialize that the, the general capacity, the ability to do multiple things, that general intelligence is a sign. What's well, the difference between us and, you know, AI systems. Like they right. can't general out and know, uh, different things and when we know a bunch of general tasks they inform each other mm-hmm. like if you've ever tried to read like three books at once sometimes it's easier to retain because you have contrast between ah. those books so that ability like that to know general things mm-hmm. is much better than to know specific things and like we can build you know the most intelligent chess uh, intelligence system known to man it can beat every single human being on earth but we can't get that same thing to understand what a butter knife is for or like right. concept like conceptually to change mm-hmm. so that 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 ability is very human and that's probably the only thing that is keeping our dominance yeah. <laughs> over robots right, right now is that ability to be general thinkers and i mm-hmm. think you're right like as we get going like oh well you know i'm specifically good at this one task i was like you you're starting like if you are you might be putting yourself in a bad position right. for the future be- mm-hmm. if you just look at how easy it is for, you know, to get one intelligent thing to accomplish a task. Right. Like, That's right. my tangent. Huh. So that was interesting. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Those, no, it was great. Those caves that you mentioned, mm-hmm. the ones in France, mm-hmm. Perchmail, is that the one where there's the 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 bison woman? hybrid yeah, imagined the, yeah, yeah, creature. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The buffalo head. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think it's the representation of a shaman. Like, and they have a really weird, um, maybe it's 10,000 years before or after there's a place in Africa that has a similar cave painting that oh, also no. represents their shaman with a buffalo head. Oh, crazy. And, and it's, they have no relation whatsoever. Oh my so God. they find these indistinct, like these separate societies that are both representing their medicine people with buffalo heads or hybrids. And I think they both wow. use red ochre to paint. Oh my God. I yeah. could be wrong about that, but. Yeah. Wow. That's, I didn't know about the, the one in Africa. That's amazing. Um, Mark and I were talking about how, like how interesting it is that, you know, these early signs of, uh, imagining something that doesn't physically exist, you know, putting two real mm. things together to create something else in the storytelling that comes behind that and, and whatnot. I don't know. It, it's that's a creation like, process, right? Yeah, like yeah. That, that, that's what I think is so, um, I mean, this conversation keeps coming up because we're obviously creatives, um, which I think is, um, you know, in whatever your religious belief, I think that's the best way to pay respect to, you know, whatever you think about mm-hmm. a spiritual life is also, to reflect a creator by creating. Like whatever you think about the universe, your reflection of it is trying to, you know, create other things. That power, uh, it's really hard to conceptualize. And I've been trying to think about it in terms of at what point is it not combinations? At what point is it actual creation? Like, so if I have a thought and that's not materialistic, like that's not a tangible thing. A thought Mm -hmm. is just an electrical impulse. Some people might argue that that is. Uh, a material, but you can't hold it, you can't identify it, and that idea, that thought, leads to something. Right. So at what point is that the creation process itself? Is At what point is nothing becoming something? Right, right. Oh boy, that's gonna make my brain hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my brain hurting <laughs> all the time. Yeah, all the time, exactly. So Kelly, I mean, you said you mentioned like you started painting when you were really young yeah my mom was an artist so um yeah me and my sister uh my sister my sister's my only sibling we are both uh professional artists now Um, okay and my mom was an artist so we grew up like watching my mom do these like Mm. beautiful drawings and oil paintings and and we also you know were fortunate enough to have access to art material and and my parents let us and the carte blanche to like use it yeah (laughs) yeah so um yeah it's great i came from a yeah an art definitely an art-based family and my dad's a huge supporter of like you know he took us to all the museums and galleries growing up and we always had art Mm -hmm. books and it was yeah so we had a lot of fuel and and what mediums like what you paint on canvas with watercolor sketch i mostly do uh ink drawings like I do micron pens Uh, that's my favorite I do a little bit of painting but mostly Mm -hmm. I like to use to use pens and um, I discovered that by taking an architecture class in high school and I was like oh my god these are the best pens I've ever used in my life I loved it so much fun so the tool kind of shaped the your decision about the medium yeah I I don't know what it is about pens I think it's like it's a very uh, controllable medium you know paint is a little more like has a lot more like variability in it you know but like pens are very like you know you take a 0.3 micron pen and it makes a 0.3 line but the cool thing is that you can take something that's that structured and you can get very creative with it and you can make it look like brush marks and you know you can do hatching with it and shading with it so you're taking something that's very i don't know very structured and kind of like getting very unstructured yeah yeah and it's fun so 
maybe this is a broader because I'm trying to put together about how you came about. <laughs> uh, but I don't think it's like it's not so weird as it is like you do these long endurance efforts mm-hmm. and you have this um, access to nature and then you're also very artistic. What informs what? Oh, my God. I think the well, I grew up like in front of the Tetons and mm. I love the Tetons like they they are the loves of my life. Like when I was little, I used to imagine every single one of the peaks had a face and I can still see those faces. So if I'm feeling like lonely or I don't know, I, I look at the Tetons and I can see like all of my friends and they're big dangerous friends and they can kill me, you know, but <laughs> I see them all as characters. So I kind of always feel like I'm in the company of like some, I don't know, like in a live, like a, in a living presence, you know? Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely like nature makes an appearance in all of my illustrations mm-hmm. one way or another. Um, so definitely being able to grow up uh, in the forest and in the mountains and climbing and biking and riding horses, uh, big, big impact on the, the illustrations for sure. It also like it, the long endurance events like that, mm-hmm. you spend a lot of time in your head. I do. I spend a lot of time and, in my and, head. And, uh, <laughs> and, and not necessarily bored, but sometimes that, that I, I mean, especially deep into things, um, you know, long things. I I just I remember some of these, like getting out of the mountains, um, usually after a mistake, um, <laughs> where it's okay. It's going on all night, and now it's no longer technical. I just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other mm-hmm. and chasing the little pool of light made by my headlamp. Right. And that's all I need to do. And then where does my head go if it's just not dangerous monotony? In right, terms of yeah. physical activity, um, that was, you know, yeah, that that was those were um, fertile fields. Let's say for it totally is, especially if you're like exhausted too. Like you can kind of access like I don't know, the pr- any sort of resistance to mm-hmm. input goes away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Oh yeah, no, totally. I mean, you kind of. I mean, I definitely go on like these very long like flow states in my head of. Um, all kinds of crazy thoughts, you know, but yeah, once, once the danger's passed and you just have to get to the end, you're just cruising and you just, yeah, like you said, fertile grounds for like all kinds of, all kinds of creativity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the, 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 this book, you, you had mentioned it Mm -hmm. one, um, before, I think it's, it seems like a really interesting concept that someone's world becomes, let's say, colorful by way of exposure to nature yeah um so in yeah in the in the book i've written and illustrated um yeah this this kid grows up in like a very like uh like a near future kind of all indoors environment and and then a dystopia yeah dystopia (laughs) um very wired into like the system and he comes across a a picture of a forest on his um, device and he doesn't know what it is because they don't have forests anymore and he asks his mom and she's like oh yeah well we used to have those but you know there's only one left so he goes on a mission and leaves for his apartment for the first time in his life to find this forest and goes on this great adventure and in the illustrations they start out um, almost completely black and white and as he goes into the forest everything becomes very saturated and colorful and then when he goes back to his apartment at the end of the story he brings all the color with him back into his apartment into his room 
and then he continues to leave and go back to nature because that's that's where he wants to play that's where he wants to, to be that's real there's um when i was at the the logitech conference out in san francisco that uh hobie's group put together andy walsh there was a, a kid chris and his last name escapes me right now, who has done, he's a scientist and has done a bunch of work on the the nature deficit disorder mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. Um, and, and how exposure to nature is tied to creativity, but also just emotional health generally. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now it's, it, it is, it has been quantified that this is an actual thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are, I guess there are people <laughs> who are looking for the, like to find a solution to that for you know people who are shut into ir- mm-hmm. you know very dense urban environments right that don't that don't have uh, you know but even access to you know sunlight and you know fresh air yeah. in air quotes mm-hmm. um, is but but this helpful. is what hacking culture gets us right like <laughs> we we found all the shortcuts right so we've you know we know all the secrets <clears throat> but we. <laughs> basically shortcut our way out of a big picture right which which i think is obvious if you read um any i don't know great american author most physicists most scientists most nobel peace prize they when they do their writing or when they're expressing their ideas most of them talk about their thought process happens in nature like it happens going on walks it happens like Mm -hmm. you know specific um now the the author's name um, Alan something um, he, he's I'm in the middle of this book and he's talking about how he built this house on an island off the coast of Maine and it's totally empty and he just goes there and thinks about physics and he has like these profound experiences staring up at the stars and he goes none of it happens in a laboratory right. he's like yeah we go there to learn about how this stuff works but when we're trying to unweave problems in mathematics or something he basically exposes himself to nature and the mathematics come to him. Yeah. And like that's how he's able to process things. And he's just paying tribute to great thinkers who have lived throughout history. Like whether the the Greeks or the Romans or you know the I mean the Ottoman Empire, all of these people that are you know have discovered mathematics or physics or sciences, they all had this really deep connection to nature. And I think that's uh, like when I'm trying to understand what you're what you do because obviously you do a lot and that that's and i don't want to put you in a box to try to identify you because it's not what i'm trying to do what i'm uh, trying to get at is like um the stories that you are telling mm-hmm. are um, through your illustration your actual work mm-hmm. is through I, I mean there's no discernible difference between the work that you do physically and the work that you output to share people like to share yeah. with people what your experiences are is that yeah of? no it totally makes i mean yeah i I, I like to show people, I think in a lot of my illustrations, that we come from nature. We are a part of nature. We're not separate from it. Yeah. So we find our happiness and our mm. peace and in our creativity, you know, when we put ourselves back out in nature, you know, at least that's that's my, you know, that's the human experience that I have. Yeah. Um, and I definitely find my happiness when I'm like, and it doesn't have to be like endurance either. Like I am, I love foraging for mushrooms mm. and it's just walking quietly through the forest, looking at the ground, and mm. I'm totally, perfectly, peacefully happy doing that. And it's amazing just just to be out there, you know. That distinction you made of being a part of it, I think is a big separating thing. Maybe 
you know, our cities have <clears throat> insulated us against. Oh, yeah, for sure. Are, are part of it, but like realizing that um, we don't necessarily come into this world. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is, I think, a misconception about most people's belief systems. Whether, I don't care what the specifics are other than you think you were outside of it and then you were brought in like you were a visitor. Mm-hmm. But if you change that and you are of it, then it changes your relationship with how you treat it. Yeah. Because I'm not just going to leave one day. I'm not in and out. I'm not mm-hmm. visiting. I'm not right. a tourist. Yeah. This is mine and it's part of me. Yes. And therefore you change how you treat certain things. I think that's an mm-hmm. important distinction that might go over most people's heads until they're like, oh yeah, I'm kind of been acting like an asshole. Why am I a- like... <laughs> I, we, we actually don't get to leave mm. <laughs> so we might want to take care of it mm. yeah huh. yeah um have you guys read ishmael by moby dick D- <laughs> D- i'm uh, just joking yeah. <laughs> no i haven't oh it's a great great story I, I might have to bring up ask google for all the details on it because it's been a been like 10 years since i've read it but basically it's a man who's uh he meets a gorilla and the gorilla has been thinking about the problem of humankind and over the course of like a couple months he the gorilla teaches mankind his theories about why humans have this problem and you know and one of the basis is do we come from nature or do we take from nature you know like are we a, are we are we part of it or are we better than it hmm. and we you know so that <laughs> it's puppy time it is puppy we're going to let's pause yeah yeah so the, yeah, Puppy. So that the two runners can meet. Yes. And, uh, yes. And we'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Well, we are back after a pause for puppy greetings. <laughs> puppy, puppy snuggles. And gazelle greetings. <laughs> and um, So w- we were speaking about a gorilla. Mm-hmm. We were talking about a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> who, who had some news for the human that was, you're not alone. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we were talking about Daniel Daniel Quinn's um, novel, uh, Ishmael, and um, had to look up some quotes because there's just so many great quotes that come from that book. But um, anyway, the gorilla is talking about how there's two kinds of people, and the quote is, the premise of the taker story, the takers being one type of people, the world belongs to man, and the premise of the lever story is man belongs to the world. So anyway, that's the premise of the book, just saying that, you know, that's the two schools of thought. And if you can change the story of how you think about yourself in relation to the world, you change everything else. So the trash it and move on attitude goes away if you can't move on. Exactly. (laughs) Well, there's something really frightening about um, most people's thought of like a rapture. Like, oh, you know, it's just going to be a level field. Like one day, whatever you think, an apocalypse, a second coming. There's this idea that there'll be a leveling, and so nothing you do now matters mm-hmm. because it'll just be worked out later. Mm, I was like, yeah. that's bad accounting. That like, is. that's really bad accounting. I actually it's don't even okay. think it is not accounting. Is it's it not accounting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's being it's, unaccountable. It's is the it? fuck it attitude. It really yeah. is, and there's something really bothersome because the majority of people who are making vast decisions about our world that we live in and you know how we interact with nature they they believe in this line of reasoning Mm -hmm. of like oh yeah one day you know whatever entity will come down and he'll level it out and i'll be okay and i'll be happily ever after and so therefore i can suck all the oil out of the ground Mm -hmm. i can do devastate whatever i want because you know 
this does not matter. Right. Which I think is really disturbing. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I, I, uh, I had not put two and three together there. Well, well, because, <laughs> well if, if with we, that, the, 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 if we take there, there's a, there's if this. If, yeah, if you're counting on, you know, the most dangerous destroying the credit system (laughs) the most dangerous kind of person is the person that has nothing to lose like he doesn't care there's nothing like even you know in our justice system we put those people and we're like oh they're really dangerous like isolate them and keep them away from Mm -hmm. the 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 rest of the population but our government is built on essentially people that have nothing to lose right right because in their belief system that what and we talked about this earlier with it their strong belief system is that somebody else will take care of it. And right. therefore, how do you, does it matter? Like, why and should that, I avoid plastic? Because I, as a human being, am not accountable because it's the deity's will. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just a vessel, like, right. yeah. strip mining and shit. It's super <laughs> fucked up and it really bothers me. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know quite how to, I guess, I guess maybe you're doing more than most people because you're trying, this is a message that it's like a reoccurring theme with you. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to show people, you know, nature, I guess, mm-hmm. in a way, whether it's like, yeah, running or climbing or, you know, I love to take photos and then mm-hmm. illustrating and stuff like that. But yeah, it is, it is really scary if we, um, if we have the fuck it, you know, attitude, which, you know, most of human society has, like, like we don't we don't need to take responsibility because then we might actually have to feel guilty about what we're doing, you know. <laughs> or, I mean, I'm guilty or, of it too because like I drive a jeep, a jeep. Yeah. That's like the worst car ever to drive, and I and I drive all over the place. Like, yeah, I had a Hummer. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> I didn't know you in that era. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a great car. It actually wasn't as bad as most people think. Like, it actually gets it got better gas mileage than my BMW did. Oh, like that's almost, hilarious. Almost double. But that, this is like, anyway, that's a tangent. Now that, yeah, when, I, when I upgraded, yeah. when I sold the Toyota Tacoma <laughs> and got the giant Ram diesel, yeah, the diesel truck, yeah. it got de- better mileage. And despite putting more particulate in the atmosphere, yeah. ultimately. There was something strange about vehicles because that, that, that seems to be the key towards like, I mean, both uh, economic recession and environmental protection it's mm-hmm. like if you want to ensure that a society has a job to do you kind of have to give them a job to do mm-hmm. and therefore that then people will be really angry at this but like you want to create more jobs make petrol illegal <laughs> and you just created an industry that has to figure it out right the the sad part comes is like yeah but what about those few hundred people profiting off <laughs> Well, the, the really sad part, like when we, because we're thinking about, you know, our, we're still thinking nation state as opposed to a world um, influence on like our natural state. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that the U.S. can shift and suddenly become more green or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, they have to think in competitive terms with other countries doing it. And so this right. becomes a stalemate of sorts. Right. Like this becomes just a a power quibble between a bunch of people that do not give a shit about the actual planet. They just care about the power structure and the pretentiousness of that. 
Sorry, did I just depress this whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. I need to go into the corner and cry for a little uh, bit. I'll yeah, be back exactly. in five minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's true, though. I mean, humans. Uh, it is. And it gives me a lot of pause because you're like, what are you left with? Like, uh, I mean, when. Uh, I, I mean, if, if, if we reduce that to, let's just say, a manageable mm. um something to wrap our heads around where the state of California made, you know, certain means of energy production illegal. Mm -hmm. They did not make illegal their demand for the, the, the result, you know, for the right. energy itself. Mm -hmm. So they exported the pollution creation, the pollution associated with the creation of that energy that the state of California uses mm -hmm. to other states yeah. that don't have similar laws regarding coal-fired plants and mm -hmm. things like that um, to, to produce electricity. And this is something that, you know, the U.S. has been especially effective at in a, on a larger scale is we export the, you know, the pollution associated with the means of energy production to other countries mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and then get all upset when, you know, people are saying, hey, we need to, you know, we should bring this home. Uh, you know, the, let, let's take the oil out of, you know, where we live. Let's fuck up where we live in order to get this energy. Um, well, and we, that way we're independent. You know, we're not dependent on these other nation states and this and that. So so people will look at it as a political thing. Um, and, and it's really, I, I think it's, okay, I don't want to drill in Anwar, let's say. But I am totally willing to fuck up someone else's, <laughs> you know, area. Yeah. For sure. I mean, the, it's the just. The not in my backyard type of. Exactly. Thing, yeah. I, and not to uh, to circle back around because you mentioned Yuval Harari because he kind of talks about this, uh, although kind of abstractly, um, he says that all of this is just storytelling. Mm -hmm. Like th this is all all politics, all history. All of this is devising and agreeing on stories that are true or not true. It doesn't matter yeah. whether they're true or not. It's just what we Agree, agree on. is yeah. the truth. Okay. Yeah. And so we've agreed that there's this turmoil. We've agreed that there's political shifts and there's different nations. And uh, it's an interesting concept because I, I think if you think in those terms, you can then create the story that yep. shifts things. And that's what he's trying to say, yeah. although it's really subtle. Right. And so to bring it back to kind of your illustrations, like how much of this is um, intentional storytelling to try to share with the world? Like, is that the theme under yeah. pretty much everything that you do? Yes, I, I love telling stories. It's actually, um, and I, back a long time ago, like I, when I was like nine years old, I started making films mm. with like a camcorder mm -hmm. and I like to tell stories with film and that's what I was really obsessed with for a very long time up through college. I went to like film camps all over the world and I went to Art Center College of Design um, to get my, my BFA in film. But when I was in college, I discovered illustration. Like I always made art, but I didn't mm -hmm. know that illustration specifically, like storytelling through drawings. Yeah. I didn't, for some reason, I had no idea that was a thing, you know, besides maybe children's books. And I was like, Never oh my God. Japanese animation. Oh. <laughs> <A manga>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I guess there's, there's that, that too. But oh my gosh, like I be, just became obsessed with illustration. Mm. I was like, oh my God, you can actually take this very controlled medium. I don't need like a, fancy equipment. I don't need a film crew. I don't need actors. I don't need a battery. I don't need a battery. <laughs> I don't need permits. Like I can just create a story on this piece of paper and show it to people. And mm. I, so I transferred my interest to illustration um, when I was like 18 years old. Like, mm. And so, yes, I, I love to tell stories and every single illustration I do 
is fairly intentional with some kind of a story. Although mm. I like to leave it ambiguous enough that an observer can make up their own story with it. Yeah, you know, so it can mean Put different things to different people. Um, so I, I, you know, I do like to leave like room for that. But um, yeah, oh my god, like my entire life, like relationships and goals and everything, they're all in these pages like all in these drawings you know but only i know that really you know <laughs> well now everybody knows it but yeah <laughs> how, how do you work on your actual like your your actual craft like when you are practicing illustration like what does that look like or have you just developed to, to like the, the, the create the quote-unquote creative process of it you mean no i mean the actual like yeah. i mean the fundamental skill of illustration because uh -huh. you talk about the mechanical uses of different pens and mm -hmm. pencils and and medium like it how much time do a day do you allot to yourself to actually develop those actual skills uh, i usually spend uh i definitely spend a couple hours a day drawing Okay. Um, unless I'm outside all day, you know, sure. unless it's like a mountain day, yeah. you know, um, and I, I work as a, as an illustrator. So I usually spend three to four to five hours a day yeah. working. Yeah. Um, and so all of that, like, you know, plays into like, you know, creating like the hand, the eye hand mm -hmm. coordination with the pen and, uh, whatnot. But, um, occasionally when I have free time, I'll do like sketches like human sketch the human figure again like mm -hmm. work on like warming up your hand and like um getting faster with like different pen skills you know it all all feeds into that the time lapses that are yeah. on your instagram feed are are deceptive <laughs> actually because yeah. it's like wow look at that thing take shape i wonder how many hours that i wonder how long that actually took oh my gosh yeah totally <laughs> it was bob ross he didn't make it any more clear he's like Done. Oh my God, Bob Ross. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a G. What? Oh yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, I yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I've recounted it before, but I remember um, Angie who used to train at the gym. Mm -hmm. They would have uh, Bob Ross evenings, where oh, they'd like have people over and they'd put on a Bob Ross episode, um, and that's, everybody that's had to paint. I believe drugs and alcohol may have been involved, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna. And should I bring think that back. She's responsible Arts for the phrase of saying, "I'm gonna Bob Ross the shit out of that thing." Oh my god, I <laughs> love you, it! Like looked at a photo. I think it was a photograph that I had taken or something. And, yeah, and yeah, <laughs> nice. I, anyway, that was a, <laughs> I, it I just seems like a fine reason for a social gathering in a way. It I is love for it. sure. It's awesome. And I don't necessarily understand. I like, know. I don't know a lot about art. I'm mm -hmm. not an you know especially in that medium so i i'm always curious as to how much practice it takes to like refine a skill like how much how much oh. actual skill goes into it because a lifetime it sounds like yeah, yeah. a lifetime like you're always <laughs> always improving you know sure and then experimenting in different techniques i mean i just got back into painting recently and i don't like paint but mm. i think it's really fun because because it's hard it's a challenge and mm. it frustrates me but you know it's yeah, you know, it's fun in that regard, you know. It stretches you. Yeah, it does. And I usually don't work in color. Um, I usually <laughs> do black and white illustrations. So, like, it's been fun to, like, play with color. And oh, my. What's annoying is, like, everyone loves my freaking She can help us now. with our coloring book. Oh, gosh. We <laughs> want to oh, yeah. do a coloring book, but we want to provide grayscale crayons. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that idea. <gasps> That's fantastic. <laughs> 
damn it. No, I'm it's telling gonna, you, it's going to happen. Gonna, uh, we mention it, and now it's going to have to happen. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Oh, my gosh. It'll go with fun. our action figures. Oh, my gosh. That sounds so fun. Can there be a night with, like, the action figures and the coloring book? And, you know. Of, yes. Yeah. Kelly, whatever. What, what and whatnot. Like, uh, yeah, they're probably, I mean, we have a space to do that. We and do. And you have Pez dispensers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's, like, a lot of great fodder early. here for, like. <laughs> a lot could go bad or really good, depending yeah. on how you look at it but like great things come from chaos so if you can create that chaotic situation you know but within the confines of look nobody that no color allowed Mm-hmm. Like everybody has to dress grayscale <laughs> too, like showing up at the, the the black and white coloring book party. The, the gray matter nights. I <laughs> love this idea so much. I oh my gosh. I'm, I'm pretty sure we could organize something like that. Yeah. I think it'd be a hit. Well, we had that. And what was the other? Were we thinking about a card game? The nonprofit card game? Yeah. Um, yeah and now I don't remember. <laughs> the. the how did this come? We should write this stuff down when these fleeting, things happen. Fleeting great ideas. They I have kind of a, just like pass by you. I have a notebook and none of that is written down in it. I have oh gosh. Like obscure shit that isn't even that funny. We were going to come up with our own suits, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not hearts, clubs, that one's going to be the nonprofit logo. One's going to be, obviously, there's a joker. Yeah. Maybe there's more jokers than normal. <laughs> Half um, of the deck. I, yeah, exactly. I, I don't remember... Uh, yeah, we have a lot of jobs for uh, illustration. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you just let me know. I'm I'm ready to go whenever. That's I'll create art anywhere in the world as long as I have my like my stuff with me. So, what are you on on three different aspects? What are you working on right now in illustration form? He mentioned a book, uh, mm-hmm. a children's book, and then in your physical realm, and then I would I would pose one is in the natural realm. Like, what do you want to see? What do I want to see? What do I want to see in, in nature? Like in what? Nature? Like yeah. Where have you not been in the world? Where do you want to like run to? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh man, so many questions. Let me think oh, of run all through. These run through. Yeah. They're all kind of the same. What yeah, are you doing in the is. future? Yeah. <laughs> gosh, what am I doing in the future? Okay. Uh, so I would like to. I've been working on this kids book for a long time, but it's since it's a personal project, it's mm. kind of a back burner project. Yeah. So whenever I get like a commission, that's always that takes priority because mm-hmm. I have a client. Um. Uh, the kids book's done it's already laid out in in design I just actually have to publish it Mm. so that's where I've been stuck for the last like couple months is actually like pressing send more or less Mm. Um, are you going to self publish yes and then and probably self-distribute. I don't know. And then do, I was going to say, and then do all the fulfillment. We highly <laughs> discourage individuals from the fulfillment end of yeah. their... Uh, well, what should I do then? I, I'll I, have to talk to you guys well, about that. I don't know. I, I was... Michael, you had more willpower than I did. I was cooked after last Friday of, I don't mm. know um, how many we put in envelopes, but... It can be a little bit cathartic. Yeah. Unless, this is the... Unless you come here and you switch on the AC and you like get to go and you set up all your stuff and then about 30 minutes in to packaging you realize that you turned the heater on not the ac and oh you're God. sweating not because you're working really hard but because you're a fucking idiot and you're melting <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking good. that didn't feel good uh I, it can be I, I really do think it's i bitch about it because it's a pain in the ass like it's mm-hmm. i don't want to be a mailroom clerk right but i like seeing every name that comes in that was like hey you ordered my thing i want to see that name and i want to like remember folding that book right and putting tissue and a sticker and doing the like 
ridiculous things that we packaging come up with. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, yeah. I do make make and send my own prints. Like, yeah. So that's that's always nice. Like I, you know, am interacting in a way with like you know the person who's supporting my artwork, yeah. and I really yeah. like that. And if somebody has an e- like whenever they email, I get the email, and I'm like, oh yeah, I packaged it on this day, and it was that. Like I, there's like a connection there that you don't get if I had some fulfillment center. I know that sounds like really. Hokey, I should probably get over it and just like let Amazon do some shit. But <laughs> I, I kind of then I think it would be different because when somebody had a problem, I wouldn't know how to handle it. Yeah. But now, if there's a problem, it was probably me. Hmm. So I know how to figure it out because I'm the. We problem. know what the solution is because <laughs> yeah. we are the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really important, and it's really not that bad. I it's really not. It's yeah. part of the part of the deal. And it's actually uh, ultimately it's the, it's it's that initial wave, and mm-hmm. you know I want to say the first two days, but now it's like the first six days um, <laughs> of this particular. This uh, this one thing. caught us I, off hand a little bit. Yeah, because we print enough. When we talked about it, it was like we're going to print enough that it should take about a year to sell, right? And so we're planning on like that. Kind of, uh, there's always a bunch up front, but then it kind of like drip feed into the. And now I think we're a couple of way from being halfway out in five days. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I was like, you know, fuck, how do you handle that? It's all (laughs) the good stuff, but Mm -hmm. we didn't have enough supplies. So it's like there's some some mess that goes in with it. Right. Obviously, we're very grateful for it happening. Right. Um, but you could be better prepared Kelly, yeah. with, <laughs> with yours uh, by making sure that the shipping supplies are. <laughs> oh my gosh. But when yeah. You, all that stuff. But it, it comes about. back. It literally comes back. Like when we order stuff, I don't want to be wasteful. Like right. that, that's like yeah. the last thing I want is like a room full of fucking shipping supplies. Right. And we're always trying to think like, you know, especially lately, like how can you use less plastic in the package and can the package be useful? Like what, I know it needs to get there. It needs to be protected. The product needs to be protected. But can I do that? And then on top of it, can it look a certain way? Does it have, like, when they open it, does it feel like, oh, this is a special thing? This mm-hmm. isn't just, like, some asshole on Amazon threw right. it in a package and, you know, went on a machine. In, in a box that was too big and then filled that up yeah. with some plastic air bladders yeah. so that the thing didn't move, ar- yeah. move around. And then, <clears throat> um, yeah, they're all stop gaps for people just not, like taking time to do it the right way. Right. Like one box should fit into the next one and mm-hmm. there shouldn't be any wasted space. Otherwise yeah. I have to fill it with fucking plastic and that plastic does nothing. Right. Like it, it all is really frustrating to me, especially cause it protects my book from all the air around it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really tough to do. So we don't have a bunch of supplies, but then I don't want people to have to wait for our thing too. So whoops, like, so mm-hmm. I guess this is me apologizing to our, yeah, especially our <laughs> international customers because they got the wayside, like they yeah. have to wait a little bit longer so all the domestic orders can get out. So, uh, sorry guys, we had to wait for shipping supplies. That sounds really <laughs> bad when you say it because it's just like, well, duh, why didn't you order more? It's but like, you're doing it all personally, and like that, I think that means a lot to people when they like receive the package. Like, okay, this like came from the source, you know, like that's pretty cool the mail room at nonprofit at NPEC. We're just going to change. It's not the nonprofit event center anymore. It's, it's the nonprofit mail room. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, no, we're going to have one more event this year at least. Yeah. Anyway, I, you know, Kelly is pretty enthusiastic about this, uh, 
you know, the coloring book idea, mm. or the non-coloring book I or whatever. I love it. But I'm thinking like, you know, someone who says, I'll make art anywhere, seems like a total candidate for like the issue of a zine in 48 hours. Oh, Jesus. Is that? I know we still, it's still, we've only just talked about it over and over again and never done it. We, so we, Kelly, we had this idea at one point would be like, okay, we're gonna lock ourselves in the building. You have 48 hours to to make an issue of the zine. I think that's fantastic. I and, love it. And then, you know, okay, people have to, you know, maybe you, maybe you plan ahead so that there's food and everything needed. You know. <laughs> enough toilet paper. Here, enough toilet yeah. paper, or, uh, water, or, yes. you know, you can have a runner, you know, go out for stuff or whatever. You, no, I think but, we, we decided you could leave and take a picture. Exactly. Like if you needed a picture that wasn't, you could go take that. Yeah. Okay. If, there, if I need something, I can go do it, but. There's going to be a lot of, oh, i got to go take a picture, guys. i got to get the fuck out of here. Building. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that sounds like a fun idea. We'd have to get it. We'd have to figure out a theme. And then. See what m- comes out of it. And see what comes out of it. That's and then it's just like whatever it is at, you know, midnight on Sunday or whenever the 48 hours is up. <sighs> like, would you, would you just, just be like, all right, we're done. We can't sell it for full price because look at all those blank pages. <laughs> <laughs> We've left a lot open to interpretation here, folks. But the magazine There's a itself, lot of coloring space. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I like this idea because it's like the, the magazine itself is is the work of art that comes from the 48 hours. I mean, yeah. it, it's a reflection of like what happened. I mean, I think that's that's pretty cool. It could be. It yeah, how much attention can you pay to something and to see how many mistakes and gla- like glaring things pop out of being like i mean but it might be an error-free issue because we didn't spend so long looking at it like the Mm. the like with with the anthology there's there are we didn't give ourselves enough time to fuck up yeah exactly (laughs) and with the anthology we did i mean like and and it, it does show that after a while you can no longer like even if there's a glaring error you no longer see it your mind just like patches over that, you know, yeah. it fills in. It's like, oh, that's not supposed to be there. There's not supposed to be a page number on top of that person's face, essentially. <laughs> you know, but I can imagine that it's not there. How come I couldn't see it? How come I couldn't see <laughs> I looked that. at it so many fucking times and I cannot see it. And then it, it's so obvious once that we've signed the mm-hmm. paper. Like, once it's gone, yeah. like there's no, there's, oh, there, there's 1,200 of these. <laughs> That's so great. (laughs) (laughs) So great. That's so great. Twelve hundred reminders of my mistakes. Yeah, that could be interesting. We have to think of a theme. I'd have to get some energy back from. Yeah, but I think that. Yeah, me too. I mean, maybe on the lines of maybe it's like the nature issue or something. Because I like, I I have a feeling that what you're doing is, um, it it kind of mimics what I think is useful in most efforts. People um, appreciate where they're at in their environment. Mm-hmm. They use physical effort to explore it, and then they create something out of those two things. Yeah. Whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Like, yours just happens to be very naturalistic. Right. Like, in the mountains, painting, stuff that you could, I mean, you you go on, I don't know, runs, I assume, and sketch and... Yeah, I actually just, uh, me and my friend, who's an, uh, another artist, she's a watercolor painter, mm-hmm. we went up... Um, Tiwanot in the Tetons mm. the other day and brought our sketch stuff and we just sat up there for like an hour and a half just sketching what was around us and mm. it is was it, awesome. Is, is a lot of that um, 
your work, like you are visually recording something that you are seeing in real time? Or Not usually. Sometimes usually I, I go out, I'll have my own experience without mm -hmm. any like, you know, mm -hmm. no materials with me. I'll, I'll take photos because I love taking photos. But most of that happens like in my studio, like, mm -hmm. or I guess in my head. I guess it depends where I am, a coffee okay. house, wherever. Um, but this this time, like last week when we went up there, it was just like, let's go up and have like an experience where we're doing some plain air, you know, yeah. in the moment stuff. And yeah. And it was fun. It was fun. I think I prefer to like to fully absorb, uh, fully absorb like a you know the environment around me, the the whole experience, and then take it back, and then you know regurgitate you know that on paper, you okay, know, separately. So Actually. you draw a lot. I do. You run a lot, mm -hmm. and I hate to come back to because I'm never the one that comes back to. I just assume people do a lot of it, but I'm. I don't think people will really get the right grasp of how much you actually do <laughs> unless I like lay it out fundamentally. How how much do you actually train? I I train almost every day. I, I go outside almost every day. Um, and yeah, I usually this, take one day a week off to Is this formal to training? So you're mostly running? Uh, running, yeah. And I climb, I mean, I climb, climb. and I snowboard as well. Uh -huh. um, and I like to do adventure runs where I can incorporate climbing into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, cause I, I don't know. I just think it's, I don't it's know. like it's you fun. said when you were six, this is I, the yeah, coolest, this thing, is the ever. coolest <laughs> thing ever. And if, I like to cover ground, maybe, maybe I should put it that yeah. way. Like I like to cover large amounts of ground in the wilderness, usually by myself or with one or two people, mm. usually unsupported, um, and have a very raw experience. That's what I like to chase mm. to like, I mean, one of the things that you mentioned today was, the you know the variation on the the wind river sort of high mm -hmm. traverse mm -hmm. i guess is what it was that that um Unifriend had done in sort of a 60 hours yeah. fast packing mm -hmm. style that's some do you have the numbers the num on, the, on that because how do you quantify oh my gosh <laughs> going through the wind rivers you know on foot yeah i mean we uh there's a a hundred mile uh, version of the Wind River High Route, and then there's an 82 mile version. We did the 82 mile version, and okay. we hadn't spent very much time in the winds. Me and um, my friend Ryan Burke, and we were like, "Why don't we just see all of the winds at once and see how fast we can do it?" <laughs> so we like we were running. We were running with very light backpacks, um, and we were sleeping. We were sleeping at night, but we were kind of doing everything fast packing style. So I brought like half a pad so that my torso was kept warm at night, but yeah. like the, my lower half was on top of my bag so and we didn't bring a tent or anything we were just like cruising and we Sweet honestly had no idea how long it was going to take us we were like okay it'll take us between two and four days to like run this and it ended up taking two and a half days uh sleeping at night okay um so we were running i think the first day we did around 20 miles because we started at like 10 in the morning because we had to shuttle our cars and then the next day we did 30 miles and the next day we did like um like another 30. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we were trying to actually time it to do it during the solar eclipse. This is in 2017. But we actually finished before. So we woke <laughs> up the next morning and then enjoyed the eclipse just like nice. hanging out, which was really nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were running with packs on for a lot of it. And most of this route is not on a trail. So you're scrambling around rocks, you're doing glacier crossings, snow field crossings, and you're going over. I think nine mountain passes over 11,000 feet nice. or something like that. And so it's a lot of vertical gain. It's a lot of mileage. Um, and what's cool is one of my friends, uh, Fred Casey, he just did the same thing without sleeping and he just broke our FKT on it by a significant amount of time. Like he did it in like 37 <laughs> hours, but he didn't stop. Like he just kept moving and mm. he didn't bring anything to sleep. Um, 
That's so, good motivation to not stop. Yeah, and I love that. Like, I actually, like, it's been on my list to go back and run it again now mm-hmm. that I am familiar with the route without stopping and not bringing, like, you know, bringing more salt which, with me, which I didn't do last time, and bringing, like, less, you know, less sleep, no sleeping gear, actually, probably just, like, an emergency blanket and just seeing how fast I can do it without stopping. Um, so it's cool. It's cool to see that progression, you know. And for, for stuff sure. like that, um, when you're working up to it, mm-hmm. do you... Uh, how do you quantify your sort of training? Do you do do you you know record your mileage for the week? Is it how many hours yeah. you're outside, or do you just sort of freestyle? And um, I used to do a lot of freestyling. I actually have a coach now. Okay. Um, my friend Casey Clark coaches me, and she does like a lot of. En- she's an endurance athlete, and so I do a amount of vert a week, a certain amount of mileage, and I, I do speed workouts because I'm not a very fast runner. Um, mm-hmm. More like I'm good at going for a very long time. Um, I have a lot of grit I guess like I'm very good at like suffering um but I'm trying to get better at making sure my body can keep up with everything I'm doing so I you know make sure that I'm like you know hopefully in 10 years I can still be doing this and not have completely like destroyed knees Mm. um yes so I yeah I spend a lot of time training um yeah and I try to make sure that that training is also interesting. So I like to go and if I if I have to run 20 miles, I'd like to do 20 miles out in Grand Teton National Park or not in the Wasatch or somewhere. Not lifetime fitness. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh my God, I hate treadmills so much. You guys want to know something? You want to mm-hmm. keep a secret? Uh, sure. <laughs> I fell off a treadmill like two years ago. Oh, That's the last time I was on a treadmill. Do you, did you get like rug burn no i like, did you get shot off the back because it was going too fast oh. i was i was running wait okay i'm, I'm just gonna tell you guys the story yeah, yeah. confess okay. confess you're on the couch like, <laughs> it's like two years ago i was running on a treadmill it was winter time in jackson so like that was my option was like now i still run outside like i prefer running outside no matter what even if it's freezing because i hate being inside okay I was running on a treadmill i was listening to some really good music i had a crush on this guy and i closed my eyes and i thought about how hot I thought he was. And I closed my eyes for one second and I shot off the back of that treadmill. And I I actually like I actually didn't really eat shit. I kinda like landed in an okay way. Okay. And I was hoping everyone else in the gym saw me because I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. And I stood up and like kind of took a bow and then I realized nobody else in the gym was looking at me. And I was like, Oh, come on. Like come on. you guys missed was... that? Come on. There wasn't a like, YouTube <laughs> video. I landed on my feet. <laughs> I thought it was, yeah, it was hilarious and, and nobody saw it. So anyway. And that's how, the last time I owned a treadmill. Yep. How do you think, <laughs> never mind, I'm how, not going <laughs> to. It's, it's like, I, I've gotten shot off the back of a treadmill, actually. Oh, have you? Okay. I was running with Aaron at a Lifetime Fitness and I think my, my foot hit the side because we were running pretty fast. Ooh. We were doing, if I can remember the work, I might. I think this is one of the times that we're being stupid. Five by one minute all out? No. (laughs) Okay. But we were running like really fast miles and doing like heavy back squats or something in between. It was ridiculous. We were doing like 10 mile repeats with like, it was stupid workout. Gnarly. But I was running and it was like a, maybe a six minute mile pace. And then I hit the side and I <gasps> shot out the back and almost hit the treadmill behind me. It oh like my God. kicked me back really, really hard. And I, like Aaron just started laughing and I was like, fuck, <laughs> she's going to beat my time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe anyway. Yeah. And Did I, you get back on the treadmill? Afterwards? Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, and I was, I was pretty burnt. Like my leg had a burn Ooh. on it. It was pretty bad, but yeah. Um, I can't say, 
I like running on treadmills anymore. Mm, so yeah. if I ha- if I can, I go outside. Yeah. Even if it's in a fucking parking lot, it's better than being on a treadmill. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I like to like have something real around me, mm-hmm. you know, like like air, snow, wind, whatever, yeah. like something going on, you know. Well, how do when you described like um how you go about your, your ideal, you know, effort or experience that you're mm-hmm. trying to have. There's a minimal amount of gear. Mm-hmm. There's a minimal amount of people. Yep. There's a maximum amount of distance time. Like what is the, what's the one thing you're looking, there's a range you're looking for and then there's certain terrain and then there's support of other things of this. Yeah. I, I look for something that's going to push me physically mm. and mentally. So I like to get a little scared, mm. um, which is why I like, routes that have some climbing on it you know mm-hmm. a little bit of soloing things like that you know so you have to so, pay attention yes yeah, so you have to pay attention like so that your your body is like hyper aware your mind's hyper aware and you i just feel like you have a much more fulfilling experience that way and you can like push you know your your own comfort zone in that way you know um and i like to be able to do it fast and because i feel like when you're when you're doing these unsupported things by yourself you're having a very real experience you know you don't have aid you don't have help um and you're bringing in all these other aspects of your life like i have to know if things go wrong i have to know how to like bandage up my own leg or set my arm or purify water or know where a water source is Mm -hmm. uh, know how to navigate on that kind of terrain off trail um like i'm relying on myself and all of my knowledge all in this moment mm-hmm. you know it's like bringing everything that i've learned throughout my life into this moment and then you take all of that you know if if i have a successful or even an unsuccessful attempt at something i bring all of that into the next experience that i have mm. um so as i've pushed myself further and further um my first endurance thing being uh when i i was the first female to complete the grand teton triathlon or the picnic as people call it um that was picnic. yeah that's what my friend david who made up the event that's what he calls it <laughs> um that was like the first endurance thing i ever did and i you have, have to no, swim across jenny lake you have to bike up. to jenny lake okay. swim across jenny lake climb the grand teton then do it all in reverse including swimming back across the lake and biking back and me and the, my team where, my, my team um me and my friend tristan we were the first people to do it unsupported so we carried all of our own shit across the lake you okay. know in on in dry bags on boogie boards you yeah. know and that was the first like endurancey thing I ever did. That was the first. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and like <laughs> see, that's why I said lovely and inspiring. Oh, uh, <laughs> thank you guys. Um, but like since then, I've learned like so much more about nutrition and hydration and like I would think so, and not to sign up for shit like that. Yeah. Like, that yeah. <laughs> well, oh my god, like my first swim across the lake when we d- we were swimming across at like two in the morning, like this massive lake. You swim mile point three across this lake in the middle yeah. of the night, and it's a beautiful and terrifying experience. And like yeah. I hate water so much, and. <laughs> But my legs cramped up because I wasn't used to like biking that much through the cold and then getting into a a very cold alpine lake. And my legs seized up and I couldn't use my legs swimming across. So I was only using my arms to get across the lake the first time because I didn't have enough like potassium in my system, you know. So my muscles seized up and it was freezing and I was shaking. And It it might have had something to do with... <clears throat> that Min- being your first one <laughs> Min- mineral deficit but yeah. more than likely it's like you said you were not used to no it. yeah, yeah. It, was, it was pretty pretty off the couch um more or less but um yeah since then i've like how did you wait 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 go back <laughs> yeah, exactly i'm just trying to like 
somebody explain this event to you and, yeah. and mileage wise somebody you knew the person who organized yeah my it? friend okay. david like yeah. came up with because i just want to hear the sales pitch as yeah. to somebody who never have has done this before like hey i've got this thing yeah uh, so my friend david gonzalez uh he is a uh, an artist and a visionary and he loves to do crazy things in the mountains and in jackson hole like everybody's an athlete and everybody's always trying to outdo everyone else like oh man oh you think you had a big day like this is what i did like i climbed the grand in like you know six hours like you know suck it, it. <laughs> and so he was like well what if i come up with like the most absurd ridiculous thing to do in jackson and it was biking from town, swimming across like Jenny Lake, which is like the iconic lake in Jackson, mm -hmm. climbing the Grand Teton, which is the iconic mountain in mm -hmm. Jackson. And then you, you're not done then. Then you do it in reverse all the way back. And because yeah, you got to get back to your bike. Yeah, you got to get back to your bike. <laughs> you got to get back to town. And then you got to yeah. get back to town. Yeah. Like you can't have like a cold beer like until you get back to town. So the whole thing started as a joke and he invited a handful of like athletes he knew and he invited me to to do the first one. Mm -hmm. um, but when he asked me, I was like swimming like fuck no, I'm not going to swim. Like, no way. I hate swimming. So the first year I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then at the time, like that winter, no females had finished it yet. And I was like, huh, that'd be kind of cool to like try, try to be the first, you know, woman to do that. Oh, you don't have to and frame it like that. Hubris got the better of you. It's like, <laughs> I could be the first woman to do this. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was just like, why hasn't a woman finished it? You know, like, so yeah um there um my friend audrey had tried a couple of times and uh i and anyway i don't know just and, and me and my friend tristan we were like what if we try to do it unsupported like what if we but you had no like you're trying to envision this based off of what experience just being in the mountains and hanging out you like rock climbing yeah you run a little bit yeah run right i, I ran some big days in the tetons oh, okay, and stuff okay. so like and you had and you had an idea roughly based on how long it had taken other people yeah how long it was going to take you yeah Yep. Which was? <laughs> we did it in 23 hours, I think. Just okay. under 24 hours, that's maybe. A, something uh, like that. That's, that's um, a, still a what's the mileage on the bike? <clears throat> 25, I think. 25 one way. So it's 50. Oh, 50. Oh, okay. And then. So it's the, the swim and the, the actual going up. And Teton then you have to hike three miles right? to the trailhead. Then you climb the Grand. Yeah. So the, the Grand itself is 13 or 14 miles round trip from the parking lot. Then another six miles round trip of the flats to the lake and then the lake which is 1.3 so so from the lake because you have to get down to lupin meadows to go mm -hmm. up garnet yeah yeah okay. so i don't know yeah um and then <laughs> then my friend david came up with a whole bunch of other picnics so i did the That's one with mount, uh, the one with mount moran which was even a longer bike ride a longer hike a longer yeah. swim and a much more technical more remote mountain and right. that was a disaster because my partner ended up passing out on the rappel on the way down she got too dehydrated it took like eight hours to do like this whole rescue scenario. And then I Whoa. went and finished it after she, like we had a support crew for that. And my friends like got her back to town and she was fine in the end. Um, and I went and finished that. And that so took like riding, 32 hours. Okay, so riding from town mm -hmm. out to Jackson Lake. Lee Lake, we did Lee Lake. Lee Lake, okay. So you're going to and String Lake, hiking to Lee Lake, swimming, swimming. Lee Lake, which is 1.6. Uh, like the length of it. Yeah. Then climbing Mount Moran and then reversing it back. And you said 43? That would two hours? No, that took me 30, 32 hours. I think 32, 33 hours. Damn. But that was with like with a whole, the rescue. with the whole thing in the middle, which was, and then a thunderstorm came, the well, whole thing. It was what chaotic. You, why did you finish? Like why? Like, well, cause she, my partner was safe and I had like, um, 
my my you still ex, had some snacks i had some yeah my yeah. ex was still like supporting me so he could stay with me while like everyone else got my yeah. friend back to town and so i was like well i already swam back across the lake all i have to do is get on my bike oh but i was i was hypothermic i was puking everywhere like i was very very sounds like a picnic we were pretty much out of water the whole time um like we were very dehydrated because like well one thing led to another and uh that, yeah anyway we were that, i was very dehydrated um and I couldn't keep water down anymore, so. But I was like, I'll get back on my bike. If I can bike one mile, I'll try to bike two, and then I'll try three. And and it, yeah, I mean, um, I I don't know. I it, it it worked out in the end. I finished. <laughs> I like that. Oh, yeah, the partner said, yeah, he's. My partner has been helicoptered off, so I will continue to the summit alone. I just want to <laughs> like. <I'm> just, <laughs> well, that's what I yeah, in my huh. head. That's what it's like. It's like, oh well, he's okay. I'm yeah. gonna finish this thing. Well, but, I'd already been going for like what, over 24 hours at that point. I was like, I just really wanted to finish. You know? I don't want to have to do this again. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> pretty good motivation. So are you sometimes. done with that just because of the swimming? Oh, I hate swimming so much. I've told my friends I'll go do the picnic with them again, but like every time it actually comes up, I'm like, uh, how about no. I just pace you on the grand instead? Like, how about? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went and hung out with uh, David, and some other people did the Buck picnic. So they swim across Phelps Lake and then climb Buck Mountain and do that in reverse, kind of as a warm okay. up for like the other picnics in the year. So I went and met them after the swim and um, brought them some snacks and like hung out with them for a little bit. But I just I hate water so much. <laughs> but that was part of the fun is that like picnic. I hate swimming. Yeah. I <laughs> when I'm out in the middle of the lake in the middle of the night, I know that there are like so many animal carcasses at the bottom of those like deep creepy lakes and like it freaks me out and it's kind of fun because it freaks me out okay. you know because like, you like getting a little scared yeah it's scary yeah. anyway um i don't remember what even we were originally talking lake is about fine. lake is totally fine well yeah you tried to gloss over your first event your, yeah my first, i did an endurance thingy and you just kind of tried to move on from there <laughs> And I had questions and okay. I'm glad that I had questions because this is fucking insane. I, so but it, good. it is telling yeah, because I'm, I'm trying to, you know, how does somebody like you come about? And this is the exact thing. Well, yeah. And, and you started building on that. So like my friend Ryan and I were like, why don't we do another kind of picnic where instead of just climbing the Grand, we climb the Grand, the middle and the South Teton. So we did that <laughs> and we actually did that in 20 hours. So like... So you but know, with as, no swimming. No, we swam. Oh, okay. No, we did. We did it as a oh. picnic. A picnic is biking, swimming, and the summits, and then reversing it. So we did all of that. Um, yeah, as a picnic, and it was really fun. And we call that the triple triathlon because you're hitting like these three oh, really yeah. fun mountains, and and we were getting better at that point. Like I was getting better about nutrition and speed and understanding like what my body needed, and um, yeah, eventually that led to to more and more trail running. And because I was like, well, trail running's fun because you don't need to bring a wetsuit or a, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly, or tow things on a <laughs> on a boogie board, board across the lake you or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like covering ground light and fast. I just I like doing that. Um, and I that led to me eventually. My friend asked me to like meet her for her first marathon, and she's like, "Do you want to enter it with me?" And I was like, "Oh, okay, that sounds like fun." And um, I did really well in the race, and so I was like, "Oh, like this is cool." I guess. So I just, like, that's kind of how it... Because it had nothing to do with speed before it had to do with the experience. Like you were yeah. going out running just because you liked running. I Oh, wait, I have a funny story about that too. So I was doing competitive snowboarding 
and I was doing like big mountain snowboarding and stuff and I ended up blowing my knee out. And while I was recovering from that, I started having dreams that I was trail running and that's how I initially got into specifically trail running, not the endurance mm. stuff, but like specifically trail running is I had these very lucid, beautiful dreams of flying and running in the mountains and. And now you're living that. And yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> and, and for me, just the, 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 the fact of dreaming it, of mm-hmm. like seeing yourself yeah. in, in that environment and then. But to come back like to, to that, that one, you know, maybe it was an abstract thought of like, at what point a, a dream is nothing. Mm-hmm. It really is nothing. Right. Because when brain, you wake like, up, you're, everybody will wake up from, oh, it was just a dream, which means it is nothing. Right. And then that became something and that something is now. Probably a feature, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's something that you. It's I wouldn't call it your identity because I don't want to box mm-hmm. that in, but it is the person that you are, and it came from nothing. Yeah. And so does your art, and so do like all of these things. And I think I don't know. I, maybe I'm just baffled. Uh, I'm just baffled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Apparently, some part of my subconscious really wanted to run in the mountains and fly in the mountains, so yeah. it, it was coming out. Especially when I was like recovering from this, you know, ACL surgery, and I was. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't really get outside. I was just like laying around for like months, like very unhappy and really getting to love the arm bike (laughs) and cycle. Oh my gosh. So I even tried, I tried drawing. I tried to get, I tried to learn new instruments like, but like without the access to the outdoors, like everything just like faded and it just became like this dreary. So being, so getting outside and having access to nature is actually a critical part of your creative life. Yeah. Absolutely. That it's essential. Yeah. Huh. I might have to revisit that. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's taking notes in his head. Revisit nature. Nature. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But you're in a good spot for it. I mean, like, there's so many trailheads, like, within, you oh, know, yeah. 15 minutes of here. Yeah. It is. It's tough to know what form fits each person, is the mm-hmm. hard thing. Yeah. And everyone's different. Yeah. And it's, I've, recently just been mountain biking more than I ever wanted to admit that I would like. And it's, it's just a really easy way to get far out there. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it combines some things that I like with some things that I'm bad at. So I have to like stretch a little bit to be more comfortable because it really is uncomfortable. Like I hate fucking descending. You can give me any hill and I'll try to climb it. Like I'm not going to say I'm going to be fast, but I won't like, that's easy for me to do because I can just do it. But descending is like, I have to not be myself. <laughs> you got to get out of your comfort zone. You have to be confident and you have to like, I, there, there's, and I, that's not my style. And, and so, and believe yeah. in the, like, just let the bike, I remember Ed saying this, mm. you know, just, just let the bike do what bikes do. Crash. <laughs> oh God. That was my, believe what I you know, asked him. Yeah. I was like, oh, is it in this? In my experience, this is, is what bikes do. This is what oh, bikes yeah. do. Yeah, uh, most of the scars in my body are from mountain bikes, not oh. from like anything else. Yeah. yeah. Bikes are sharp and... And they put you into sharp things. <laughs> and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Usually quickly. Like you are shot into sharp things with yeah. sharp things. You end up being Abrupt. sandwiched between sharp <sighs> things. And you have a soft, you know, we have like these soft human bodies and they break easily. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking about this last night because I was, I was on my gravel bike and Selena was on her mountain bike mm-hmm. and going up there's, you know, I don't have to worry about her like riding up on my wheel or whatever, but she's a good little descender now. 
And I was just like, fuck, to stay ahead of her, I'm kind of going faster than I really feel like going. But I don't want to be in her way. (laughs) Right. And I just don't want to be in the way. I just don't want to be in the way. (laughs) That's kind of of it. But And not having ridden a ton this summer, Mm -hmm. yeah, the confidence isn't. The, to let the bike do what bikes do is not there. I'm not. I'm. I'm pretty confident that. Yeah. Yeah. Grab but, too much front brake and then I'm gonna. But there maybe there is something to that creativity because I like. I mean I'm generally a gym rat because that's what we do as a profession, but man it gets fucking old, and so like if I don't get outside I'm trying to think right now at least three runs a week mm-hmm. out on a trail I feel really weird. Yeah. Start to get like, I don't know, maybe I just realized how important it is. Before, I just have a feeling like, oh, I need to go out in the sun and yeah. I need to be in the yeah. sun Definitely. is what I think. But maybe it is just away from people and out in trees. Yeah. That's really interesting. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Like I said, like one of my favorite things is going out and foraging for mushrooms or berries or, you know, yeah. just just walking around outside like yeah. by myself with my thoughts. And mm-hmm. it's you're in the present moment and you're. It's just really peaceful. It's a really good way to get grounded. Hopefully you're in the present moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you're trying to wonder where you can get black tissue paper to <laughs> to, to wrap the yeah. books up. And this is where it gets really, this, this is the downside. It's like, <laughs> man, I wasted four hours yesterday going around town trying to find like shipping supplies for last minute stuff. Oh on a God. Sunday. On a Sunday. And I was like, right. oh I, God. Could, I would have I rather been on my bike yeah <laughs> or i would have rather been doing anything mm-hmm. yeah. but that but it's like well i guess this is the cost it most times yeah. because if you have the nature of our business is when it rains it pours yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. but it has led i had one thought i'm not going to do rebecca's at all oh yeah wow. i'm gonna yeah i'm out because i don't think yeah. i'm going to do the crossfit comp either the week after I was thinking about it last week you while just, I was running. I was like, just I don't like, want to do any of that shit. Mostly just, because they fucked me on the uh, CrossFit comp. So like oh. the one thing, so I have like sprained wrist. I can't lift very much yeah. right now. So that's going to be a weak link. And so how the programming is on, well, I'm on a three-man team. All the strength stuff is individual, okay. right? So like you can shine as a strength athlete. I know because the people who are programming it are, have some strong guys. All the endurance events are team endurance events. So you're only as fast as your slowest yeah, fucking person. Right. Which means, why am I even doing this? Like, there's no point. Like, I look weak and I can't do the thing that I'm good at. So fuck it's you. It's not in your flow right now, you know? Yeah. That's so cool. I, yeah. I was like, I'm out. And then I was thinking about the bike race. I'm like, I'm out of that too because I don't want to fucking worry about it. <laughs> I would rather just go out and ride my bike and not be like, oh, I got to get five hours in today because I'm going to suffer. I'm like, I'm already suffering because <laughs> I'm worried about the future. <laughs> ex- yeah. I was actually, I was thinking about that the other day, um, Saturday when I, I lost a, a week of riding due to a wasp sting. Oh my God. Ouch. Uh, last Sunday. So the yeah. 11th, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, he got toxic adventure in here. Like, like, yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. That was pretty good. <laughs> it was, it, yeah. But, um, but I was, and I was thinking, well, I guess it's only 10 days before that thing starts. And 
Um, I'm not going to get a five-hour ride in. Just so or you know, six or my first thought when you said that picture over was I took oh. away too much pest today because <laughs> your face <laughs> was melting. Oh, no. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what yeah. I thought. I was like, wow, what's wrong with his face? <laughs> it looks like a Salvador Dali sort of thing. I oh, think gosh. that was my reply. It's very Dali. <laughs> yeah. He's anyway. melting. Oh, man. Yeah, Ow. I kind of g- gave... <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, we'll see. I think Trevor's, he's just like, yeah, summer kind of got away from me, but I'm going to do it still. Yeah. And obviously Keegan's committed, and Mm-mm. I guess, no, he's Keegan's not coming out. Because uh-uh. he, oh. he wants to help with the symposium. So oh. he said the only way he can do that is if he postpones. Postpones and comes yep. later. Okay. Yeah, so he's going to come out the week after Rebecca's. Oh, man. So that, that yeah. maybe that was the final straw. The one person that I wanted to see suffer isn't going to suffer, so I don't want to suffer myself. <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, you, if, you're not, if you're not feeling it, you know, yeah, for one reason or another. Yeah, there's just a lot. It's, it's a weird thing lately. I don't know what it is. I just can't get into the groove of... I want to be doing everything that I'm not doing. And then when... I don't know. It's It's a strange... When I'm doing one thing, I'm like, I don't want to be doing this. I think what's going to happen Mm. is the first time it snows, you're going to be really into riding your bike. Probably. (laughs) It'll be like, it's a a case of the have nots. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's yeah, maybe. But I mean, I'm riding my bike. That's the, the difference is like, I like riding my bike. Yeah. Um, it's sometimes hard to carve time out for it just because it's so far like i was commuting down here but now i need a car to deliver mail so i can't just commute down here and do other shit so it's like maybe i'll leave my car here take the fucking train home (laughs) (laughs) ride my bike anyway yeah that's a a, like i think it's funny because i'm I'm hearing you describe how you've kind of set up your life and it it leads to questions of how you set up your own life like are you doing the things that you want to do? Yeah. Like, are you allowing yourself time for them? And it's there's it's really easy to let somebody else's experience kind of mar yours. And you're just like, oh well, duh. Like her upbringing, her this, her that, your exposure to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're an artist, and you do yeah, you have all the time in the world. And he's like, no, you don't. You draw for five hours a day. That's a lot of fucking time. Yeah. And and if, I, and I in, in Jackson too. Like Jackson's, you know, very expensive place and I was very I was fortunate that my family you know has a ranch there and that's Mm -hmm. how I grew up was on this like ranch so I was lucky in in the sense that like I came from Jackson Mm -hmm. um but you know I still had to work like three jobs at a time while Mm -hmm. making art to even get my career growing to get enough clients so that I could become a full-time illustrator Mm -hmm. um so I mean it wasn't like I just got out of film school and I was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to be an artist now, you know? No, like, that's la-di-da. how it works though, right? Yeah, like I had to like, you know, wash dishes and... I got out of film school and started a career as an illustrator. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly like, how like, it happens. Yeah, I got this engineering degree and I um, I do whatever, something different. <laughs> not, I don't have any degrees. <laughs> I, only have, I only have one to do hair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And here I am training people and talking about nutrition. <laughs> You're going to need a license for that soon and, you know, yeah. well, to give people diet advice. Fuck. I, yeah. <laughs> that ought to get good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's 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 always nice to hear stories like yours only because they, they lead to reflection of like, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, most people want to be more creative. They want to do the things that they want to do. And I think a lot of the time it's just mustering the actual inspiration to do it. Right. Like, oh man, I just wish I had energy at the end of the day to go for a run. And it's like, well, once you're out there, like it doesn't matter. Like you have just, to get, just get out, out the there. door. Yeah. Just get just, out the door. And then maybe it turns into foraging for mushrooms, but yeah. that's just as good. Yeah. And I think we have these grandiose plans and training programs and whenever we can't meet them it it's like a negative feedback loop and you're just like oh well i couldn't even do that or i only i only ran like three miles today or whatever right and if you're never hitting that you know objective that is totally arbitrary anyway then you never feel like you're progressing right and there's this weird sensation i had yesterday when i was uh running it was just like thinking about perpetual progress, which isn't really progress, right? Like if you can't perpetually get better. That is the opposite of progress. Progress has to go from A to B. It's an elevation. It, like perpetual is round, it's circular. Hmm. So you can't be perpetually progressive. You'll just run into, you're eating your own tail. Right. Which is what most progressives are doing today. Side note. <laughs> Ouroboros. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I think, and, and that's not only true on a training, like mm. a physical life. It's life yeah. also. Yeah, like we have a, a habit of like making the same mistakes over and over again. Mm. You know, you have to be very, very conscious and aware to like be like, okay, I'm doing this wrong in my life or I could do this better. Mm. I need to actually take the steps to do that. You know, and I feel like a lot of people, it's just very easy to just be like, you know, come up with excuses. Replicate, and then just, yeah. yeah, just replicate over and over again. And that becomes a comfort, you know, because you're familiar with it, you know, and so you just kind of end up in that cycle and never break out of it because, oh my God, if I break out of it and actually become the person I kind of want to be, that's scary. I'm not familiar with that anymore. But all of the things that we just described, the replication process, the looping, all that, that infinite stuff, all of that is um, a reflection of how most people describe depression, mm -hmm. right? It's looping. You're stuck in this thing that's repetitive in nature and you can't get out of it. Yep. And then if we set up our life so that it replicates that, our brain can't escape it because right. our physical self can't escape it. And so it's almost you have to open one or the other up in order to stop that loop so you could actually progress. And it will be, you know, not for an infinite amount of time. It's going to be at some point, it's going to start looping again. And you have to stop and somehow get out of that convenient cycle that that's that weird momentum that allows you to do something. And you do it because what worked, what will work again you think and so you keep doing the same thing mm -hmm. but then you're depressed because you're doing the same thing yep it's a really interesting humans yeah <laughs> i was gonna say hamsters hamsters too <laughs> <laughs> like, like, i mean yeah right the hamsters, hamster never yeah. gets bummed out he just gets on the wheel <laughs> <laughs> yeah the treadmill be more the like the hamster, hamster. oh gosh yeah. <laughs> I, well i think honestly i think most uh, like most structured habitat. civilization we want a bunch of hamsters yeah it is not conducive to you know a machine to have parts that like to go out of bounds exactly that yeah. causes implosions yeah <laughs> exactly if you want a fine running machine but I, I think if you want to thrive you can't be part of that machinery you have to find a way within some confines boundaries we'll call them yeah in order to like I created my own little spot over here. And I think that's what we've tried to do with this little thing. It's like, uh, we've created a, we've propped up a tent, you know, it's a hobo tent basically. And we're just like, 
are they going to notice? <laughs> like, <laughs> the like cops hit. drive by. Yeah. Like, did they see us? <laughs> cool. We got another we got month because we, yeah. yeah, yeah, we paid the man. So we, I think if you, if you can keep that going, you know, eventually you can create your own little ecosystem. Yeah, and it sounds like you've done that. I, I would like to think that I have, and that I'm still trying to. Um, I am. I'm very scared of like getting stuck and getting stuck. Mm. You know, because once we get stuck, we stop learning, we stop experiencing things. Mm. What What are you like when you feel yourself getting stuck? What What are the things that you turn to to try to unstuck yourself? Travel, 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 new experiences, meeting new people. Um, mm. That's one of the reasons I rented a place in Salt Lake. I've been trying to move to Salt Lake for a while because mm-hmm. um, I feel sometimes creatively stagnant in Jackson. Because I mean, I have fantastic friends mm-hmm. there. I have a great support system. I love the Tetons more than anything. Um, but sometimes I feel like I'm not exploring, you know, like, I don't know, I'm not going to the edge of the cliff all the time because I'm, you know, in Jackson, I want to meet like new people and have these mm. new experiences and, you know, meet people like you guys who are doing really cool things. And then that ends up, you know, inspiring me to go try new things, um, you know, to take more photos to like maybe make another mm. film or a stop motion again. Um, and you know see how much I can do with like the very little amount of time I have on this planet. Mm-hmm. Did we, I think last time you were here, we talked about a nonprofit flip book. Oh, that's right. <laughs> like the, yeah. <laughs> the, and, and I think that should, that's that. I'm adding this to the, the list of, I guess we're just making children's products. From now I, on. Wait, well, you can no. have adult versions of children's I, books, like I, quote unquote children's books. Like you can have like, you so know, what illustrated act, books. It's, it's true. But, I, what I was thinking, though, Michael, is that, mm. you know, with the, the new digitally delivered training mm. experience or whatever that, you know, we've been talking about making, that the flip book, the flip hi, book. The, no, no, that the how-tos for each of the movements oh, is a flip my book. <laughs> this God. is how you back squat. <laughs> you just look at the flip Holy book. Holy shit. <laughs> Look at all of the ideas that have come out of just like sitting here. Um, see, and that's why, you know, this is a, this is a creative ground zero right here, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just drinking coffee right now. Like, I, exactly. <laughs> it could get worse. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of how to incorporate. It's going to be of Keegan. So I need an illustration of Keegan squatting yeah. in a flip book. And that will be, oh my God. Wearing a loincloth. <laughs> okay, that was a previous conversation. Sorry, uh, <laughs> I got a great inside visual joke. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. um, fantastic. <laughs> endurance Jesus squatting in a loincloth. Yeah, he's. You'll meet Keegan maybe soon. Um, <laughs> it'll make much more sense when you see him. Okay. Yeah, okay. I look he forward looks to like that our moment. our dear Lord and Savior, <laughs> <laughs> except he's three hundred or two hundred sixty-five pounds. Yeah. And he's into endurance sports. Love it. <laughs> anyway. So good. <laughs> Love you, Keegan. <laughs> he's, we'll see you soon. Yeah. Every every <laughs> once in a while, I'll just get a fuck you guys text when he hears the podcast come out. Because we're making fun of him or something. Or, I yeah. don't referencing him poorly. I think we speak highly of Keegan. Yeah. Most of the time. Shows <laughs> you know, when you mock someone, it's actually a sign of respect. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> or you can maybe pass it off as such. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the flip book could happen. That's for sure going to happen one way or another. Something. Yeah. I 
I just, <laughs> do you think, I don't know, and you seem to, because you do a lot of kids' books, right? Yeah, I've illustrated five or six children's books. Is there something about that? Because you don't have kids yourself. And me. Yeah. And I don't I, really want kids either. Yeah, I don't I don't want kids. I don't like kids. But I think there is something to that. Like teaching kids is a very noble pursuit. Yeah, I mean, I... Because they're blank slates, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember all of the children's books that I had. And they really impacted me. Yeah. And I still have some of my favorite ones. And so, you know, and like, like I said, night, I, I like to... What? Good Night Moon. I love Good Night Moon. Yeah. It's awesome. That's a good one. Um, one of my favorite children's books was actually just about learning the names of everything around you to always be learning. Oh, um, really? One of the quotes was like, to learn all the names of the stars in the sky at night and later those imagined and proved to be there, mm. which I was like, oh. and that's like, that was my, one of my children's books and I still have that. And I'm like, that is amazing just to like go out and try to learn everything around you and to be able to greet everything by name. And just because I had that one book growing up, like I am obsessed with learning about like all the insects around me or plants or, you know, mm. different clouds or rivers or understanding like topo maps, like everything, you know, like, so, and like I said, I like, I like to show people things and I like to tell stories. So if I'm going to show anyone anything, it's going to be a kid, especially kids who don't get to go outside as much anymore, mm. you know? Um, cause I, I don't know. I feel like I was raised, you know, in a very beautiful place with, um, you know, a very fortunate situation. And I would like to share what I've, you know, what I've learned from my life with, I guess, yeah, the next, the next, uh, the next round of humans. Yeah. Oh, oh, we have a package delivery. See, it's shipping and receiving. Love it. Paying tribute to it. I, I think, <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of where we get, um, you know, there is this weird thing where other people's kids are really hard to deal with. But mm -hmm. you know that they have a chance, I think. Adults, yeah. to me, are like, uh. <laughs> they get stuck in the cycle. Yeah, and, and you can see how hard it is. Well, it's re Why is it so hard to teach an adult anything? It's like they have all these preconceptions about yeah, the world. We get all jaded and hardwired, and yeah. we don't want to change because change is scary. And I could be. Uh, but I see it. I, I also think, like, I, and maybe that's what I'm trying not to do myself, is when there's something right. to learn, to act like a kid. Yeah, definitely excited about it or or whatever it is like mm -hmm. curiosity i think is is huge is the most important factor for mm -hmm. that so in, in writing these like um are you are you coming up with the basis of them or you're just illustrating other ideas in most cases you're doing um, your own right now usually right? yeah i i'm working on my own but mm -hmm. like uh i've done one myself but that was a quick two-week project where yeah. I, I had like you know two weeks to write and illustrate the story for a nonprofit. Mm. um mostly i've illustrated other people's books okay um and now i'm working on my own and then and then i have my all my own like illustrative projects which are you know different than the children's books but um i i do like writing and i like to you know i'd like to be able to put together like a complete story for the like, whole process kids. yeah it's cool yeah. I, I think that i mean the collaboration is always useful because mm -hmm. you get to interact with other people and see where their strengths are and how they're they're acting or whatever um, but there is something, uh, and it kind of dawned on me when I was writing the piece last night for the site, was like, oh, shit, we did a thing. Like, we went from start to finish, designed all of that, all from the get-go. And I think they're, inherently, that's the most rewarding thing. It's like mm -hmm. the more self-contained you can be, the less help you need, yep. the more, I guess, autonomous you can be, right? Yeah. Um, which might 
paid a little bit of tribute to how you look at your physical efforts. Yeah, I mean, I do like to do things unsupported mm -hmm. uh, generally. I just feel like it's a more authentic experience if I've done everything myself or with a teammate. Like mm -hmm. we've done all the work ourselves and it, it's up to us to survive in whatever environment we've put ourselves in. Yeah, there's something really weird, not, not to take away from the physical effort that goes into it, but there's always something really weird to me about somebody running and there's like a van behind them full of people going the exact same speed yeah like. it i i respect you know it, that's why i don't race as much like yeah. i prefer to do adventure mm -hmm. runs as opposed to races because um i mean they're just like two different things um, yeah i think but they are, yeah. uh it just resonates with me more if i'm like relying on myself yeah or relying on someone else and nobody else and I think the race structure is useful because like you, like it was your, maybe the exposure, like it sparked something in mm -hmm. you, right? Like the organization is a safety net. And yeah. I think that's, for me, bike racing was like, oh yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to win races. And then it was like, no, I'm not. I'm trying to be out here on a bike and like go see the world. Yeah. Whoops. Like, man, it took me five years to recognize that I'm actually not trying to race. Like I'm actually trying to see the world that's awesome that's, then, it's awesome that you realize that you know yeah and then i crash and <laughs> shattered my elbow but that um, happens it does and then it takes you out of it but it makes you reflect on like what am i actually trying to do here so i do think that the races are nice like they they give people like i've always tell you know originally at mark's um older place uh where we used to work uh i would take because it was a gym facility people get into that mentality they get stuck like, oh, I just show up to the gym. I do my thing every day for an hour. I feel like I accomplished something. And one of the things that I respect is we would always kick people out in the summer, like for three months or whatever the thing is. You're not allowed in here. You have to go do something else. Because what happens is people get like, what do you mean? I can't get my thing. I can't get my fix. And right. like, yeah, you have to go figure it out. So they'll start running outside. They'll start mountain biking. What I noticed was people don't want to come back to the gym. Then it's like, now what we're doing is useful because you've created this safe environment, shown that it's you're better off being more physically capable. You know, you can do box jumps, you can lift some weights, you can run, you can breathe hard, you can take care of yourself. Now you can maybe do that in a structured fashion at a race. So send them out, you know, a 5K, something super simple. Mm -hmm. Then they have an experience at their safety nets. And then eventually in the training, hopefully they ended up where you were at, where now I pulled off all the safety. Oh, puppy time. <gasps> and now I can have a genuine experience. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. So <laughs> yeah, many absolutely. Um, and they're all like genuine experiences. Oh, it's just like where, like, you know, how far you want to take it. Oh, doggy snuggles. Look at that tail. Look at that oh, curly little tail. You're going to be so big someday soon. Next week. Like now, next week. <laughs> Sparkle will be huge next week. <laughs> oh my gosh. Look at that face. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, good. Pu puppy confusion. Ex yeah. I forgot where we're at. We're talking about. We're talking about uh, safety nets and racing and. Yeah. And, and how that leads to. Oh, yeah. Well, and how that eventually leads to an authentic experience of how she described it of unsupported out there as far as you can get on your own will with your own planning mm -hmm. with just you and whoever else you're with i was like i think that's i think it supports the idea of pretty much everything like when we're creating something the more we can do of it by ourselves, the better yeah right like 
Well, we think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and maybe I'm just like shooting myself in the foot. Maybe I'm actually learning not to cooperate with other people like me. <laughs> there's not a lot of people worth cooperating with. It's like, <laughs> I'm just, uh, kind of true. I mean, it can be I, yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit too true in most cases. But yeah, yeah. Uh, when you do find people that you work well together with, it should work. Like, mm-hmm. it, we're in, if it doesn't work, there's nothing bad about it. It's just people have different ideas. Yep. Um, I do like, I mean, I'm grateful just for the amount of people that have been able to come in here that I wouldn't have known anything about. Right. But, you know, we talk to a person, they talk to you, they t- tell you to come talk to us, and now we're talking about flip books, and I'm really excited. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so there is something to that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why it's, uh, like I said, I like to travel and meet new people because it's, and I have terrible people skills too, so it's kind of like a fun process to try to get better at, like, you know, you have being less shy. Terrible people skills. I'm really. I was so shy growing up. I was terrified of people. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah, just super shy. So I've been like working on that like my whole life. You know, trying to be more open and like, you know, not such like a wild animal that's gonna go run off in the woods <laughs> and be by myself. Which I do a lot. I do a lot of that. But sure. Because it's it's funny because when when you know Payson made the introduction um and i invited you to come by or whatatever and it's like yeah exactly yes <laughs> let's do this i thought wow that's 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 she's an outgoing person i wouldn't have said shy at all i was kind of oh, cool. i was kind of thinking like the intro- introduction happened there'd be initial text thing and then um and then it'd just be like okay it'll fade it didn't work or mm-hmm. something i was yeah pleasantly would not have called you shy in the least. Yes. I cannot <laughs> wait to tell my two-year-old self that. Like, you did it. You did it. You conquered something. <laughs> How, where else, like, what's left for you to explore in the um, adventure? I guess I'll just call it adventuring. Oh, gosh. Realm. I want to go everywhere. Um, I've been to every continent except Africa. So I have to get to Africa. Okay. Um, I, I have, I don't know. I, I would love to do anything in Africa, but I do have some, like, runs that i'd like to do um at some Mm. point but even if i just went there and hung out for an hour i'd be stoked um (laughs) just to go there need longer than that (laughs) i probably need longer than that yeah um as far as the summer goes um i'm trying to put together a new route in the tetons uh that runs the length of the range so i'm working on that hopefully in two weeks that'll that'll get done been trying to like map that together all summer and scout the ridges and see what's see what's like actually like doable um, so that's been a fun process. How, this do, summer. how does that technically work? When you're mapping something, you can look at the topo- uh, like the topographs, and mm-hmm. and then you'll go up one peak to see if you can connect it. Yep. What are you like? You're looking for gear that you have to take, or whether you can do as freely of gear as possible. Yeah, I'm trying to see how little I can bring. Because um, ideally, I'd like to do it without ropes, without yeah um, any gear, just so I can do it straight through. Hopefully, without sleeping as well. Mm. Um, so last week I went with my friend and we went and looked at part of the uh, <laughs> part of the ridge, uh, the most technical part of the entire route, which was like this very chossy, loose, um, you know, sometimes fourth and fifth class ridge. And yeah. I wanted to see how fast I could move on it, like how crappy it was. And it was, it was a pile of crap. 
and it's scary and it's exposed, but it goes. And whether you could do it in the dark or not. And whether I could do it in the dark or not, yeah. To um, figure out timing. Yeah, and it was pretty scary. I mean, I haven't been that scared in a while on a ridge. I mean, it was all loose, hmm. down climbing, you know, up climbing, all all the things. It has all the uh, ingredients for a, for a... A disaster. A disaster or a really good time, you know? Like, <laughs> it, could, it could go either way really easily. Because um, you so, have to risk one to get the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, so this ridge I looked at would be right in the middle of this 80-something 80, 80 mile link up. So, hmm. yeah, that's that's what I've been working on. And then I'd like to go repeat a run I did in Death Valley last year because I can do it faster, I think. <laughs> so, uh, so that would be in November. Um, I'd like, yeah, I was going to say, probably later. Yeah, later, <laughs> later, like November. That's like a, yeah. And then, I don't know, like I want to, there's some runs I'd like to do in South America too. Oh, uh, yeah. Like which parts? Uh, I mean, it's in a big Peru. place. Yeah, it's okay. a big place. That's a lot of Peru. countries. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Peru. There's some some things I'd like to run yeah. there. Um, yeah, I haven't I haven't been to South America in a long time, so it's been it's been a minute. I'd like to go back there and um, because then it, you know when you you're really taking yourself out of your comfort zone when you're mm. doing these like endurance things in someone else's culture, you know, yeah. and you don't know all the plants and you don't know if yeah. the water's safe and so it's generally not in my experience usually it's not yeah <laughs> just assume everything is unsafe yeah, yeah. totally <laughs> greenland i felt pretty good i I've, oh, i really? drank the water there i felt okay about it i still well, was it for sale was the water for sale or was greenland for no sale? it was greenland for sale oh gosh I did. <laughs> <laughs> news of the weekend what a i don't yeah, know what to anyway. say i just i didn't even read i didn't read i missed something it. obviously what what is going on is greenland for sale it was um, they, they, you know, Denmark, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, Denmark. Uh, yeah. Uh, says no. Oh. Uh, dear leader would like, you know, to buy it for the resources. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> dear leader. And I don't know what you would do with the residents of said country. <laughs> we own you now. Please oh, work God. for us. Oh, no. Or something. I don't There's, know um, what the. What was that? There was just a show uh, sailing the North. I think it's the North Path Passage. Or Northwest Passage. Yeah, Northwest okay. Passage. It was a. Uh, so like a long series documentary, um, some people from Denmark, some people from Iceland, and then I think there's a French sailboat. They're all just trying to make the Northwest Passage. And it basically takes that time because it kind of follows them and they have to stop at Greenland and mm-hmm. they stop at these like uh, Inuit tribes. And it basically does like a really nice job of exposing how like that culture developed and how we kind of changed it and how Canada pushed them really far north beyond like what was survivable and they really changed the culture in order to establish that the Northwest Passage was not international waters. So Canada moved some Inuit tribes, basically bribed them to go farther north than what was inhabitable and really like shifted this. So this, this whole documentary talks about this and it kind of talks about What's uh, it called again? Uh, I think it's called The Northwest Passage. Okay. I think it's on Netflix. Ooh, I'll have to watch that. Yeah, it was really interesting. It caught me off guard because I was like, it said something about sailing through the Northwest Passage. I'm like, oh, maybe something weird. And it turned in this whole cultural look at, I mean, the, the suicide rate is like mm-hmm. three times that in most Inuit cultures yeah. uh, of, of normal society. Really? Yeah, it's like really, really absurdly high. And so they go into like fundamentally why that's happening and they're overweight and diabetes is like through the roof there's all sorts of uh, it was kind of mind-blowing and i've never had the sense that i wanted to go to greenland until i saw that and i was like oh greenland's 
I would see that. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's nuts. It's beautiful. Um, I, I was in... Uh, How did you, yeah, end up... Uh, I was doing an, like an adventure run there. I was trying okay. to do a link up and unfortunately it snowed over like 60% of my route while I was there. Oh and this was in July. So oh. that was supposed to be the best weather. Um, so I ended up doing a much smaller run than I wanted to. Um, but it was really cool being there and there, um, there were locals there, you know, and they are, they're carving narwhale ivories and mm. walrus tusks for, for, you know, tourists. And there's a lot of uh, tourists from uh, Europe who, who go there. Um, I was in Ilulisit, which uh, yeah. is on the west side of Greenland. Okay. Um, and yeah, um, it was cool. I mean, I, I, obviously I couldn't, I could not speak their language and they could not speak mine, but, right. um, they let me like photograph them working on like carving mm. these, these ivory pieces and, or, uh, bone pieces. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was cool to see that just even that tiny little slice, um, of experience while I was there and so I saw them smoking fish and. It was, it was, yeah. So when you are like there and you can, um, do you make it a, uh, something that you try to do to share your own art with local people that you're interacting with? I didn't share mine with them. Maybe I would have if I'd had a sketch pad with me, but, um, I did do some art while I was, while I was there. Um, but, uh, I, that would actually would have been a really yeah, I'm actually going to think about that now. Carry my sketchpad with me, and because um, because I, th- you know, I mean, it. You could communicate through art. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. I like that. I mean, I, th- I think about, you know, t- um, photographers photographers who you know, if you used a medium format camera or whatever, and you always did it had a Polaroid back, and mm. you did the test thing, and then the, and then you you know give the Polaroid to the subject mm-hmm. or whatever, um, and and these days, you know. Yeah, you can show it to them on your camera, right? Yeah. You know, or something. And depending on where you are, I mean, you could obviously, you know, create a ni- Wi-Fi network around the camera that you, you know, with the camera yeah. that you have, and send it to their phone or you know whatever mm-hmm. you know, ridiculous. Send it to your phone, edit it, and then send it to their <laughs> phone, or however that would work. You know, <laughs> right. the equivalent would be, um, but just carrying it around like an Instax camera or something like that. That still shoots a little Polaroid or instant mm-hmm. type of things yeah. because you'd have a physical piece right. to actually give someone. That's really cool. Would, you know, in those situations might be a interesting way to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to, to exchange ideas or. Yeah, I'm trying to think people. when we're in uh, Romania this year, um, I took a picture of the lady that was cooking for us and she had a little girl that helped her. And I it was like, yeah, it's digital. It's really hard to get it to her. Like I had to, somehow translate in Romanian to get her email address and then I sent them obviously but I never know I mean maybe she didn't get them maybe I wrote it down wrong Mm -hmm. now you think about it it's like it would be nice to have like a tangible thing like here I took this yeah or maybe it's just like a little micro printer or something I don't know what the yeah yeah there's probably could be right now but yeah I like that the Polaroid idea would really work Yeah. yeah Yeah. There's something that gets missed with just a digital photograph. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Not to say that's not useful. Obviously, it's the only thing I have. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, like if you're trying to you know create a moment with someone and yeah. share something immediately, like from that experience, whether it's a sketch or like a Polaroid. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I took um, at that at French Throwdown. There was a there was a Russian girl who had been photographing all weekend. She was like she was imposing. <laughs> she was like six foot two, and 
snatching 190 something uh it, it was like just watching her move and she moved like she did not give a shit about anything she just like had no emotion to her and so i was taking some and i caught her she's getting onto a skier and she started to ski and i saw like the first glint of her like pain face and i ca- caught that and then when i saw her back at the holding pen i showed her that picture she didn't speak any english and she looked at me and like uh like it was like it was a nice like, <laughs> you had a moment yeah, yeah, yeah i was just like i don't speak english you don't i don't speak but you Russian. had a human experience yeah, yeah it was nice to like share hey i saw this in you mm-hmm. and like i couldn't i don't even know her name i probably should have got her name because i posted it and, i don't yeah. whoops <laughs> i don't it's a weird <laughs> it's a weird thing but maybe that is the the sharing of art is the way you know to cross boundaries and language barriers mm-hmm. and you know I think if you can share any kind of a passion too, I mean, whether it's running or Mm. I've been to Japan a few times to snowboard and I've been with, you know, people who don't speak any English and I don't speak Japanese, but Mm. like we went out in the backcountry and we rode these lines and we shared this experience and Mm. we like surfed this amazing powder Mm. and having that moment like brought us together, you know? Yeah. And it was awesome. You know, it it was an incredible authentic experience and we didn't share any, any words, but we shared like, the stoke yeah you know <laughs> I, it reminds me one that, that my first trip to europe when i was trying to climb the eiger with um john Krakauer, and uh we were waiting out storms and this and that and we got stuck one night up at klein um uh, or you know actually a bunch of people got stuck because of this storm and we met these kids i mean and one of them he spoke is from uh right on the uh italian the border in the Italian part of Switzerland, let's say, mm. um, spoke no English um, at, at all, but he could sing every word accurately to every Talking head song. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing! In English, it was and just like you know, learned phonetically. Yeah, yeah, and would sing along, and I'm just like, wait. You know the words to life during wartime, but we can't communicate. We can't talk to each other. That's hilarious. <laughs> actually, it was so good. That's really interesting. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think art trend, you know, it, tr- mm-hmm. it crosses uh, the us. arbitrary borders that we put up. Yeah, because yeah, like you know, art is like you're sharing your experiences and your emotions in this, mm. you know, usually a visual or or you know maybe music. Um, and it's usually a more accurate representation of what you want to say than the words that come out of your mouth. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 Generally. So um, get outside, make art, <laughs> meet new people, get a puppy, see new places. Yeah. G- get a puppy. Get a puppy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And get outside. And get outside. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it's like the first step to like learning new things. Like get outside, you know? <laughs> it does. It, it, I. I think that's kind of where we started with the conversation, actually. <laughs> it was, like, um, yeah, the exposure to outside is leading to new things, whereas exposure to outside via through a phone, mm. which is not actual exposure, it's um, it's different. It's like an, it's like kind of an illusion of yeah. sorts, or it's like there's a there's a whole medium in between, like you and. It yeah. is. I mean, it's a holographic, right? So it is an yeah. illusion. Yeah. I'm not saying that it isn't there but it really isn't there <laughs> it really isn't there exactly <laughs> i mean and if we go back to that tre- the treadmill thing you know that's one of the things about i, I think that is sort of disorienting 
about the treadmill is that nothing is going by you. Like you're visually yeah. used to, if you are physically running, mm-hmm. you're visually used to the scene changing. Mm. Yep. And, you know, sensing temper- temperature changes on mm-hmm. your skin or in the air that you're breathing in. Or yeah, like when you run down a hill smells. and you can feel that there's water because it drops 20 degrees or yeah. whatever. Like. And like your feet actually physically hitting the ground, like physically yeah. moving from A to B. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, you're having, you're going on a journey there, like a physical journey, you know. But if you're just, you know, on the treadmill running to nowhere and not seeing the thing change, you know, unless you're turning the pages on your magazine. <laughs> yep. If people, yeah. You're at cardio theater and you're, mm-hmm. so you're watching cardio other people theater. exercising or I something. I like that cardio theater. Oh my God. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> that's an actual thing that they have. They, and it's like as a sales pitch yeah and i know we're joking right now but that's an actual like amenity that you can purchase at a gym i'm not surprised that's why fitness is fucked okay (laughs) yeah and we're back yeah we're back yeah (laughs) full circle yeah yeah we need to do this again for sure um and see where like oh yeah darkness (laughs) and and other fuel takes us because you know, yeah, or something. Mm-hmm. And, and forty-eight. Forty-eight hour magazine. Forty-eight hour magazine. Oh yeah. Hi. <laughs> Come on, man. We need. I, need, I know. I mean, useful just... energy to help us get through <laughs> it. Because <laughs> because twenty-four hours in, I'm just gonna fall asleep. I'm just gonna like have a slip and fall, and I'm gonna fall asleep. <laughs> well, you've got sparkle though. I mean, that's some that's some useful that's energy. That's right energy. That's true. Yeah. But yeah. that you youthful, however unuseful, <laughs> for, <laughs> for accomplishing this particular. Well, I think yeah, and this is where we decided a long time ago that the conversations are like that's the starting point, and then you should go out and do things after you have those conversations. And I think this might be a nice way to express that. Yeah. So it's easy you. to talk about what you yeah. what you oh, yeah. learn, but then if you actually like put it into you know, it's easy to talk. It's easy to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Period. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for sitting down with us. Oh my Appreciate god! Thank it. you so much for having me. It's it kind of so hectic fun. with all the puppies and all the breaks and stuff, but um, I love puppies. So yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> when you get down here, um, you know, more full time, mm-hmm. you know, can consider this. Uh, Consider the wall of the building out there as a potential canvas. I love it. (laughs) Although Bruce might be upset about that. (laughs) Unless it was a really nice mural. Ask for forgiveness. Is that, hey, there's a a gigantic mural of the Tetons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't worry about these mountains. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The last piece, the last illustration I did was of the Wasatch, so yeah. Nice. I, I do actually illustrate things other than the Tetons, you know, on occasion, on, on, occasion. on, on occasion. Actually, if you guys see like the illustrations I did in college, they are weird and dark. It is like, yeah. What happened to, did you, did you run the weird and dark out of yourself? Or no, I still like people, people actually still think my art's really dark. Actually, like I posted a painting the other day on Instagram and someone was like, thank you so much. Like, I actually really like the mountains you do, not the like the carcasses you draw. And I was like, 
Yeah, well, okay. Well, I'm still going to draw the carcasses, so, you know, whatever. We have a little, everyone has a little Francis Bacon in them. Well, it's like, it's like, can you make friends with your dark side, you know? Can you express it and, like, play with it a little bit? Well, do you want to hide death more than we already do? Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's a part of life. Like, it's sorry. Like, we're all going to die someday. Like, you should accept it and be okay with it, you know? More or less. Yeah. And, but I think a lot of times people... You know, do, they want to see art that distracts from distracts them from what they perceive to be their, you know, their very dark and yeah. depressing life. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. I don't know. You I should... still like the embrace, even if I can't get out of it. Yeah. yeah. Of, uh, I'm trying to like. <laughs> I don't think that that the people that you're describing actually look at art. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Yeah. yeah, maybe yeah, probably not. They're looking for entertainment. They're not looking for like they're right. yeah. They're being pacified. I have a hard yep. time with what you just articulated is light years ahead of anybody who would actually criticize art mm-hmm. or criti- like usually it's just like, "Ooh, that makes me uncomfortable." They're not looking at art for art's sake. They right. don't want to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Period. Funny that that same person doesn't like to be uncomfortable physically. Mhm. As well Either. As, yeah, yeah, emotionally or what, whatever the piece of art allows you to feel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, on that note. Art. <laughs> yeah, on that note, let's go create some art. Uh, yeah, let's, for sure. Let's, let's make, yeah, make something. Yeah, I mean, thank I, you very, very much for coming down here. This yeah. is well, so fun. fun. Yeah, this is cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad we uh, could make time. <laughs>